Hey everyone, welcome back to this lesbian ship is intense. I'm Katie. And I'm V. And I'm back again, bitches. You thought you got rid of me. (laughs) How did that that feel to do the intro again, Katie? It's really nice for me not to do the intro. (laughs) Oh my god, I didn't even think about that. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was cool. (laughs) I don't know if you heard, I don't remember what episode of the podcast that I'm doing with Havoc, um, but there was one episode, I'm pretty sure I didn't cut this out, maybe I cut it out, where I was just like, oh my god, every time I do the intro, I want to say, I'm Katie, even though I am not Katie. (laughs) Oh my god, oh my god, I love it! (laughs) At least I'm ingrained in this bitch somehow. Um... (laughs) Yeah, we're back to talk uh, today after V has been doing the Pink Theories series with Havoc, and that series will continue after this brief hiatus. Don't worry, fans of that. I'm not keeping you from that for too long. How have you felt doing that? Like, what's been cool about it? What's been different about it? Well, it's a whole other person, so that's different. And, um, I mean, the other, like, the other thing is, like, me taking the lead. Because you take the lead on the vast majority of the podcast episodes that we do together. So, my taking the lead. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, having to be considerate of a different person's style. I think that the reason, like, I like when you take the lead is, one, it means I have to pay a lot less attention to details. Um, but two <laughs> is, I find that... I was like, I guess I get to be less considerate, <laughs> which sounds so awful. <laughs> I just, I guess I feel more pressure uh, in some regards. But Havoc and I have known each other forever. So, like, with regards to, like, personality and, like, doing yeah. it, like, super easy, super fine. Um, It's just, um, it's just different. And what do I, I mean, like, I love the show. Um, I, was like, I don't know. I guess it's, I don't know if I have anything more specific. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where it was like a very weird conversation for us to go into that. But one of the reasons why we ended up deciding to do the Pink Theories series with you and Havoc is, number one, the horrible state of uh, lesbian, bisexual, queer representation on TV right now. We kind of were getting blow after blow on the things that we love together. And then there wasn't a lot for us to talk about anyway. And then also, I don't know Havoc directly, but like a roundabout way I do. And I know how much Havoc loves, you know, the show. And I was like, you know, why not give underrepresented media attention? That's why we created the podcast with a person that loves it. It just, it seemed like a no-brainer at the time, even though it felt weird to do. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been, you know, what's the other thing is, I want to say that it's been really nice to see the ways in which people support us because people like will DM us um, via Instagram or via uh, Twitter and so there are like a couple of people who I have kept up with. I don't know if you've kept up with a lot of people, but I've kept up with a couple of people who have messaged us throughout the time that we've covered things. And it was really nice to see people reach out and just be like, oh, you know, where's Katie? And in the same 
breath though also welcome havoc um and yeah. that was just like really nice like i because i wasn't sure i was like are people gonna check out and not want to stick and listen to the series because it's someone new when they've already developed a relationship with you through the podcast um so to have people be able to say i miss katie but i also enjoy what havoc brings to it really makes me feel comfortable um and oh what else was i gonna say to you also i've lately gotten people tell me that they're going back and listening to other series we covered that they didn't watch at the time so i have at least one friend um who's watching bly manor so that she can listen to our bly manor episodes oh that's cool i do like that i feel like that does happen to us sometimes when someone jumps in anyway so i'm happy that that's also happening if they're new listeners uh with you and havoc um and i think it's for me it's also like this podcast is our baby you know what I mean like so it was like I had to put my own self and ego aside and was like no like this is kind of what fandom's about it's okay to kind of step outside of what you're used to and not to mention I've been busy as fuck the past few months I would not have been podcasting anyway oh yeah (laughs) what like well like I don't know if I'll keep this in the podcast or not I might um but one of our dear friends LBR was like V, I love you, and I love the episodes that you did alone, but you work so much better when you have a person to talk to, so it's really nice that you had, like, (laughs) Havoc to be, like, someone who could do the podcast about a show that, like, you wanted to talk about, Um, and I was like, girl, I know, like, me alone, (laughs) it's not the same. Yeah, I hear that, and I mean um we're definitely going to keep doing this like even though this is just like a a, this isn't a long-term series that we're doing right now um once the pink theories is over we're hoping that there will be something that we'll want to talk about to keep this going there will Um, be some rain for this drought yeah but uh we have come back together to also celebrate our five-year anniversary on this podcast. It has been five years since we started this wild ride. I could not believe it when you said that. I just was like, I like I think I thought about it earlier this month where I was like, oh, June's our anniversary. But like I didn't really think about like what year it was. And five is a nice number. I really wish I would have remembered. <laughs> I know. It just it feels really like special and like ingrained in our lives and then this this own unique cool thing and we've done so many fucking cool things <laughs> that i never would have dreamed of um and how fitting that it's pride month that we <laughs> decided to do this um so and to of course celebrate pride i would just like to recognize spotify for giving us 666 rating <laughs> on that platform. <laughs> yeah, you screenshot that and sent it to me and I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, in true pride fashion. Um, so yeah, happy pride. Happy five-year anniversary. I'm happy to be back talking to you for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know. I think that it's um, the most appropriate that you would pop back in on this month this is like a good time for us to come back together and talk about a show i was like have you already announced what we're talking about today no i haven't <laughs> okay 
I don't think there's any suspense, but I did want to intro it with like a funny story because about this time last year, um, and it's, I remember it vividly saying this to you and having this conversation with you because of the timing. So um, around this time last year, we were very fortunate and lucky to have Sarah Catherine Hook and Imani Lewis on this podcast and interview them. And those record-breaking podcasts for us oh my god i know really took off like that is the craziest it's ever fucking been in this lesbian ship house let me tell you <laughs> yes i was i was so overwhelmed and i wasn't even running everything it was all you <laughs> we were i was overwhelmed you were overwhelmed I was trying to like just focus and you were trying to just get things done and it was a lot of work, but it was so rewarding and so crazy. I can hardly believe it still sometimes. Like I'll look at some of the stuff I have from that and I'm just like, wow, that happened. <laughs> yeah. It's good memories. It makes me happy. Um, but I remember we got so many requests from fans during that time to interview their favorite actresses. Mm -hmm. And I vividly remember, because this was a big ship at the time then, as it still is now, I remember a lot of fans asking us to interview these actresses. And I vividly remember telling you, oh, I feel bad because I don't want to tell them I'll never watch that show. So we'll never interview them. <laughs> is that what I said? No, I said that. Oh, oh my God, you're right. You did because it's a, because it's um. Uh, it's a copy show. show yes i was like i'm not gonna watch a fucking cop show these days i don't care about it i'm not gonna watch it and i did feel that way for a while and um but like everything went to hell in a handbasket and we lost basically everything mm -hmm. and this one still remained <laughs> and <laughs> the last gay standing if you will and some of my mutuals that feel similar to me uh, in their uh, opinions of things still really like the show. And I was like, you really still like this couple that much, like on a cop show? And, you know, like, ugh, do they even get that much screen time? You know, all these things. And they're like, I get it. I feel that way, too, about these things generally. But I really like this one. I think you'll like it, too. So I gave it a shot. I fell in love and I've hoodwinked V to talk to me today about NCIS Hawaii and specifically the relationship of Casey because they've really been the steady ship sailing for me this past year. So wait, I have to ask, um, have you been watching the whole episodes then? Like, yes. Okay. So I binged. I started watching episodes live from the second episode of the second season. Okay. So what prompted me to watch the show was the um, first episode was a big Casey episode um, to start the show. And everybody's raving about it. I was like, I'm just going to give it a shot. And uh, so when I watched the scenes, I got really into it. And... Um, because this relationship is infused in the whole show and interacts with a lot of the different characters, 
I started really liking them too. And then I wanted to know the whole context that I was missing from just watching the scenes. So I've gone back and watched all of the episodes as well of the first season. So yeah. I've watched all of the episodes. <laughs> I wonder, I was like, I don't know if I should say this now. Yeah, I think I will say this now. So it's really funny that you were like, I'm never going to watch this, you know, cops. And then got really, like, into it because I was like, yeah, I don't like cops, but I can watch cop shows. And I do get really interested in the storylines. So I thought I could watch it, but then I couldn't get into it. Um, and I have watched some of the playlist in the past and couldn't get into it. And then I started watching the playlist for this podcast. And as I was watching it, I was thinking, I really wish I was just watching the full episodes. Um, because I'm interested in, I'm interested in what's happening on the show, like outside of Casey. So like, I think that would keep me watching the show and potentially I'd watch enough to get invested in the characters. I think it enhances the characters because it's a workplace TV show. And so like the workplace is the star of the show, not the individual characters, mm -hmm. even though this one is very character driven. But their cases, the best episodes, the cases are really interwoven in their lives. So I do think you're missing something if you're not watching the full thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'll talk about that more when we get into it. But, yeah, uh, I'm happy to talk about this today and get into it. I have so many thoughts and a lot um, just generally to talk about this genre with um and this relationship because i really love a lot about it um but before we really dive into it i did want to talk a little bit um especially in pride month about what's going on with the current writer's strike right now and really just shed light on it because i think this is the most important thing for lgbt fans to support and pay attention to right now for the future of our media and representation um i think like i'm not trying to tell any fan how they should spend their time online um but i do want to just make this point you know your favorite show is not coming back until the writer strike is over and the longer the writer's strike goes on, the less likely it is for your favorite show to come back because of how these studios operate. And the reason this strike is happening and the writers are striking are the reasons that we're fighting for our shows to come back. You know, all of these things are really intertwined and it almost feels like um the writers are striking for like the very future of the entertainment industry right now mm -hmm. um so you know there's a couple things and i don't know how much you've paid attention to this or know about it but there's a couple really important points that they're holding out from the studios for and both of them i think directly impact our stories and one is paying them in residuals and you know writer's room requirements and things like that and you know a lot of times our shows are getting cut and not going to the next seasons because they don't want to pay the writers to to advance their salaries they're not paying them residuals so they're not paying them the 
you know, extra fees that you used to get. And so there are less writers making it into writing rooms and being able to live off of it because they have shorter seasons, which I also hate about modern day TV. Um, so they don't go as long. You don't need as many writers. And then the less writers that are participating in these shows, the less they're moving up and the less chance there is to break into the business. And that directly impacts the very queer storytellers that we want to break into this business and have a voice and be the voice and tell our stories. And um, it's really important that those things happen. And I think, you know, studios basically are evil villains, okay, in these stories. And they um, they have kind of shifted away from what studios used to be, which used to be the makers of TV and movies, and that was their mission. But they fucking lost the plot, and they will strip <laughs> anything away for profit and mobilize that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was actually going to say when you had posed the question or like the statement of like not knowing how uh, much I'm aware, um, very general sense, you know, like I haven't looked uh, mm -hmm. too deep into anything. Um, but what I was thinking about when I think about the writer strike and what I think about the importance of supporting the writer strike is I when I think about my queer media representation is I see the writers as being on my side more often than not. Is there yep. shitty writing sometimes? Absolutely. But I think that there are a lot of writers who would want to write really good queer content. And so for me, the writers are my ally and the networks and the streamers are my fucking enemy and my villain. And they have yeah. to come together to create what I want. And so I try to support as much as I can um, the writer strike in the sense of like, you know, retweeting something or quote retweeting something when I see it on Twitter, acknowledging that this is, um, I don't know. I don't know if what the, what the view is anymore, but I always think about like an old school view of striking as like being bad, you know? And so mm -hmm. I just want, well, that's how society and, you know, the capitalist machine wants us to be striking because it impacts their profit margin. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. Networks have lost the plot. It's just what will make them profit. And I mean, how they can. I just wish human beings had more humanity, even in their in their work and not just all about the money. Like, can we go back to where art and media is supposed to be meaningful and, and good and and it's not just about money? Yeah. And I think, you know, I've learned a lot doing this podcast and i've always paid a lot of attention to media because i'm a pop culture junkie but um you know i've said things that were blatantly wrong and probably misguided about showrunners and writers and creatives before on this podcast because i don't understand how it all works and who's responsible and sometimes it's both maybe and i think there are some writers there that are egomaniacs and have really fucked up our stories too. Like those <laughs> exist. But I would say that the writers themselves know there are those people out there. Um, 
But for the most part, I think a lot of the things that have frustrated us about shows and the quality of our representation are actually dictated by the studios. I mean, the studios didn't even allow us to be represented until they thought we could make them money. <laughs> so, you know, and it's only been fucking recent. And I'm going to get into that a little bit in a minute. Like, they weren't telling robust gay stories when I was even in high school. Like, they were just starting to, you know. So, these are very recent times, and that's why it's been very alarming, all of the canceling and uh, dismissing of, like, this LGBT media out there right now. And what you said earlier about humanity is the other big portion of what this strike is about and that's the battle of ai and its involvement in the creative industry and in our lives really and i am just gonna say i'm a fucking luddite if i have to be i don't care i hate the idea of ai i don't believe in it um you know it's the the whole premise of ai basically is to consume everything because that's how it learns so it just wants to consume and consume and consume and consume and consume to take from you and then as it keeps consuming from you you're giving it what you have right you're it's like a parasite almost and you start following this ai because it's taken so much it now starts to make decisions for you and you get so used to this AI making the decisions for you that you start to lose your critical thinking and your reductive reasoning, right? And once everything is consumed, you know, what's left? Mm -hmm. What does humanity have when it's all dictated by a robot and a machine that doesn't understand the nuance of humanity anymore? So I love that you have this, like, you know, you're this passionate, like, the way that you said it is so great. And do you know what came to my mind with humanity and, and AI and shit? What? How I fucking hate calling for something and getting that fucking thing. It's just like, please pay attention because our options have changed. Press one for blah, blah. Plus two. And then none of the options make any fucking sense for what I'm calling for. And then I'm just like, human, human, human. Just give me a fucking human. Just give me the fucking human at the very front so I can say what the fuck I'm calling about. And then you, human, who understands, will navigate me to the right place. Like, I know that that is a very simplified, like, <laughs> thing. No, but that's part of it. You know, and I work with human beings and with real stakes in their lives. And, you know, and there's all this talk now in that industry of, like, how we can use AI. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? How can we use AI? We're not. These are human lives. We're not going to use AI. Like, why? Because the amount of people who are suffering in life that come up to me and literally just thank me for treating them like a human being mm -hmm. is fucking astounding i yeah. don't think the rest of the world that doesn't work with these people understands that yeah yes to just like have something so simple i mean i was i don't know i don't, like don't want to get into the details of the work that i do but similarly i right. have experiences where people have just and not even with like ai or technology but dealing with people who 
are in a field that's very cold and being treated like they're not humans. Less less than human. Yes. And for me to go ahead and treat them as worthy human beings who are allowed to have opinions and feelings and thoughts like is um is something that they really appreciate sometimes yeah and it's like how can we expect the machine to understand that when the people that maintain that much power often can't Mm -hmm. you know and i think to specifically with the stories that are being told you know tv and movies are supposed to be stories about humanity how can the machine really capture that you know that's what the actor is meant to show the range of a human being in a different circumstance you know and it can be something fun and lighthearted, and like you get amnesia and you go on a date 50 times over again or it can be to save the world and a CIA plot and what it's like to navigate the government. Or it can be, you know, a, a show about an elementary school teacher. But all of these stories are still about humanity. And the very best ones of every genre that exists in the media are about the depths of humanity and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And... I think, you know, specifically the show we're about to talk about, it's a procedural. It relies on a formula. And you would think, oh, that's perfect to write by an AI. But this very ship that we get, we wouldn't get if it was written by an AI. Mm -hmm. Because it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't be important to an algorithm. It wouldn't have through lines of backstory and a character and ranges of emotion and the understanding of the lesbian experience just subtly in a relationship, let alone overtly in a relationship. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, we wouldn't even get that story. And then if it's every story in movie... We're going to be watching fucking robots that look like humans on TV. And then that's what we're going to aspire to be. Mm-hmm. And I just don't like it. And I don't think it's good for us. And I'm really happy that the writers are holding out and standing firm in their beliefs. Because the studios aren't even negotiating with them. Mm-hmm. They rejected their deal and then refuse to come to the table. They just want the writers to crack and for them to keep making their bazillion dollars and their mega yachts. And, you know, even though it won't cost them anything really out of yeah. their profits to pay these people. And the reason is because of these things, because if they don't have to pay a person, they get to make even more even fucking more. money. Because, like I said, they lost the plot. It's not about making TV and movies anymore, it's mm-hmm. about money. And I, it's always been about money, but the movies and the TVs and the story and the art part of it is removed now from the people who are in charge. So everyone be paying attention to this because it's really important. And, you know, we fought tooth and nail to get our stories told and they didn't get told because of statistical data. They got told because the fans were there. And there were writers that cared to tell those stories. Mm -hmm. And we need to have those people's backs so they can keep telling our stories and keep fighting for us. That was really great, Katie. I'm passionate about this, if you can't (laughs) tell. Um, So, 
What's interesting is about this show and why I became so interested in it. It's because apparently I watched an awful lot of procedurals growing up on TV. And I didn't even think about how embedded this type of television show was in my life until I really started getting into the show. What what Um, what constitutes a procedural? Okay. So basically it's a, a procedural television is like a little bit more formulaic than like a story told over a season. It's a genre that is a story is told all within the same episode. So it's not an overarching plot that is driving the episode. It's like a story within that, that episode that's driving the plot. And so it's introduced. Yeah. So it's cop shows, a lot of workplace related things. Um, But generally that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was growing up, procedural television and network television, like was at its prime right so we have the law and orders and you know i fucking loved law and order specifically law and order svu me and my friends would fucking just get together and watch law and order svu with each other and talk about it and i watched criminal minds and Mm -hmm. i watched cold case and my mom loved these shows specifically and one of her favorites was actually the original NCIS that she watched from the beginning. So I've watched like all the early seasons of NCIS because my mom watched it growing up. Yeah. Um, and so, and these television shows were, were like averaging like 20 million people a night watching it before streaming took off. Like these were the shows that most of America was watching every day in their homes. And then streaming, I think, started to kind of elevate different genres and different stories and broke away from the restrictions of network TV. And that's where a lot of the queer representation went with those stories. So that's kind of where I just kind of left this network television world behind and really went that way and got really into it. And because of that, I kind of maybe lost my attachment to this or my thought, my thoughts about it. Um, except for person of interest, that's kind of an exception. <laughs> um, it was a little bit quirky, a little bit different. And uh, the lesbian relationship was also completely original. There's been nothing like it before or after. So yeah, I it's hard to count I that. that. I was just saying, I don't even know how I got into person of interest, but Maybe it's because Sarah Shahi was on it. Like that's Sarah Shahi is definitely the reason why <laughs> everyone got into it. She was playing another gay character. Everybody was like, okay, <laughs> you know. <sighs> I feel like I was there um, pretty early on, but yeah, all those other shows, I think similarly. Um, they're, they're shows that I enjoy watching if they're on. So like if my mother were to put it on yeah. or if I turn on the television and it happened to be on, but they were never ones that I um, sought. So like Criminal Minds, um, I don't know that I've ever seen NCIS, um, but like Law and Order, things of that nature. And like you're saying, you know, it's like what you watch when it was on. And I think, you know, procedurals dominated a lot of like rerun television and syndication. And so before we lived on our telephones, there's nothing to do. It was like the TV was on and you're watching whatever was on. And a lot of it are these types of shows. 
And so I've also kind of found getting into the show really comforting in a way um, because it kind of brings back that nostalgia. Yeah, I can see that. And um, I think, too, you know, I'm going to get into this part of why I love it a little bit later. But I think what's interesting about the procedurals and representation is that there's a couple ways that fan we've both been represented and that fans have interpreted it that have kind of evolved in this new refreshing way for me in this show and so i'm going to talk a little bit about like queering the procedural and making this like previously kind of queer baiting world a reality in the show i'm going to give a little like oral history of lesbian tv and fans here because it's all you know i'm sure some of this has been written about but i'm not like a literary or media analyst here whatever so i'm just talking about what i know what i've experienced but i'm very curious if rizoli and isles is going to come up in your little spiel just slightly so um gay representation has kind of been on tv in two ways on procedurals one way that hasn't interacted as much in the procedurals as like the whole sweeps week phenomenon and probably the gen zers out there listening don't even know what sweeps week is but it, it was I haven't heard that term in forever <laughs> it used to be the bane of our existence like alex and marissa from the oc was given to us because of sweeps week okay like that used to be a big queer baiting time in all of our <laughs> lives because it was used for like shock and drama a lot of early uh, gay and lesbian storytelling was used for that. And Sweeps Week was a time where they were gauging like engagement and advertising in the show for money. Um, so they wanted high ratings during those specific weeks for advertising money. And they would shock the audience with a gay storyline to try to get more people to tune in. And then when Sweeps Week was over, the gay character would that that was introduced would just kind of like disappear or become straight again or something bad would happen or they would die or one of those things and then the main character that was on the show that was temporarily queer would go back to being straight and never interact with that part of their lives again <laughs> and that for a long time is what we got and then it's existed in both kind of an obvious canon way in procedurals too, and a non-canon way, which is kind of a lot of queer coding and investment from the fans. So the first one is, th the obvious is in the episode of the week and in these crime shows, they actually started telling gay storylines earlier. Um, than a lot of other shows because they only had to commit one episode to it, right? They didn't have to commit a main character or a long-term story to it. But because these types of shows are kind of crime-related things, usually they're a brutal gay tragedy 
in which straight people are either taught a lesson to treat a gay person like a human and that they deserve rights and that their stories matter or they're kind of the or they're kind of the hero and savior of these tragic gay characters um this and is that is of kind Grey's of the anatomy book. would Grey's anatomy be considered a procedural like Grey's anatomy is a procedural and a form of it mm -hmm. but i would say it's a dramatized more like soapy version of one than how most people typically think of procedurals now yeah i'm just like thinking about like you know the gay the gay patient um comes in um type of storylines because you're absolutely right um it's low commitment low risk i think there's still potential risk but having like a one-off you know uh type of uh appearance of queer characters and then when you frame them in those ways in the past or i mean even still now yeah and like these are the storylines that i like viscerally remember as a kid that i had i didn't even put together until i became an adult because you know i lived in this straight world i didn't know gay people i didn't see gay people gay people were on tv like you know these weren't things that i saw in my life um and so like i remember and most of these procedurals that i watched like i remember the gay episodes right because it made an impact on me just watching it uh because i obviously connected with it in some way that i didn't understand at the time as a child and like i have one very clear example of this because i've been re-watching cold case recently because um i just have wanted a procedural literally because i've been exhausted from work and traveling where i was just like i don't want to invest in anything i just want to watch my one episode and it not be in my head until i watch the next one the next day and this was one of my favorites growing up and i remember the lesbian episode from the show okay so they've had other gay episodes and i think cold case was actually one of the better ones at telling these stories um but this episode had tessa thompson in it and it was her very first acting job and you know cold case goes back in time so this was like a very historic episode about lesbians in the 1930s and it's very tragic and everything but boy did it fuck me up when i was a kid and like when tessa thompson started breaking out and becoming this like fate like famous actress it, you know now she's just the tessa thompson to me you know but for a long time she was like tessa thompson from cold case for me <laughs> you know what i mean like the second she broke out i knew who she was i was like oh my god she's from cold case like literally i'm just imagining someone like describing a current show and just being like blah 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 you know tessa thompson and you going yeah from cold case <laughs> yes literally and what's like <laughs> what's pretty crazy about it is procedurals back in the day like watching the show there's a lot of like pretty serious working actors that may not be on her fame level that would guest star in these shows you know and um what's so interesting to me about this is this episode called best friends by liz w garcia um impacted me so much 
that I remembered her and I remember the story in the episode and I've watched it once as a kid. Wow. Yeah, because as a kid, you probably couldn't rewatch it freely. Yeah, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have the Internet to go find it to rewatch it obsessively like everybody does now. Exactly. So I just like remember with like ravis attention not understanding why i was so affected and i cared so much and i was so invested and honestly like that's underrated in this genre like i think that takes a lot of creative power and a lot of talent to move a person in a one story episode especially when you're held to a certain structure and that is like the power of TV also. And, you know, what was pretty cool is recently that writer that wrote this episode tweeted about the showrunner of Cold Case and just said something nice about her and said she was a good showrunner. And I just, like, quoted her and I was like, um, I'm glad I'm supporting the show right now and you're getting residuals because <laughs> of that, you know? And I didn't even put the name together. And then I did just rewatch this episode before this podcast because I've been thinking about it a lot. And I found out that that writer I retweeted was her that wrote this episode (laughs) that I have remembered my whole life since I was a child into adulthood. And I was like, should I tweet her that? I don't know. But I, I decided not to. But I was like, That's fucking crazy. It's a small world out there. You know what I'm saying? What a coincidence. That is hilarious. I would want to tweet at her too, but I wouldn't know how to get my point across in the character limit. So I would just quit. (laughs) That's kind of what it was. I was like, how do I say that you told this amazing moving story? And I'm so grateful that you did at a time when these stories were being told and it impacted me and changed my life and all this stuff. (laughs) And uh... cut that audio clip and then turn it into a tweet and then you can quote retweet it to her. Just be like, how I feel about Um... you. (laughs) I know. And it's just wild to think about. And this episode won like a glad award and stuff. Like it it's I think it was a pretty respected episode of television. Um and honestly, what an actress Tessa Thompson was in her very first acting role. She was that phenomenal and breathtaking. Um so the other one that's a little bit less specific and less canon and is a little bit tied to what you said about Rizzoli and Isles is um, Queer Baby's storyline. Um, and I hate to say it because sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's intentional between the show and the audience. And, you know, I think we've lost the meaning of queer bait in society because It didn't used to necessarily be that negative. It used to be literally the only way that they could tell gay stories was in this coded way, right? So a lot of things were also coded on purpose because that's the way they could tell our stories. Um, And then a lot of it is also fans reading into it and then creators playing into it more. And there's like a lot of drama between it. But I think there is an interesting element that you see kind of in this show. Um, And it's like this dynamic between the characters in a procedural where there's usually a lead and some sort of antagonist character in position where they bump heads and it's like this emphatic lead that everybody loves and their opposition is like this closed off 
uh, morally driven, singularly focused lead, and they're like on opposite sides, clashing heads, but they actually want the same thing, right? And so this tension between two women reads as like chemistry and sexual tension to an audience, and then it's implanted on the characters, and then it becomes this whole fandom world that we know today. Um, and I think interesting elements about it are procedurals are like specifically built for that because the lead character is usually like single and had a string of unsuccessful relationships with men if women are involved you know but they're just temporary and then this other woman that's kind of the stark opposite of her is usually like very independent and driven and doesn't associate with men at all right so it's very easy to project like gayness onto them because of those circumstances imagining Rosalie and Isles and <laughs> I don't know why my brain is so fixated on them um Rosalie and Isles was kind of the first one of the first prominent intentional versions of this I think mm -hmm. um go ahead I was just thinking about the personality um I don't know that I've watched and paid enough attention. I don't know that I've watched enough, nor have I paid attention to the dynamics between women in procedural type shows. I I also feel like a lot of because if I because procedural shows is not like a term that I like use, um, so I don't know if I can identify all procedural shows I've ever watched. But if I follow this kind of like cop vein is I find that a lot of those shows like Law and Order, Criminal Minds, I tend to find them to be very male-dominated. So I don't think there's been a lot of women to even see on television. Um, and I think that's why the relationships between the women stand out so much on these shows because they are so male-dominated. You know what I mean? Um, and like a very uh, unintentional one, that then became kind of embraced, I think, by the show, but definitely by the actors, is Olivia Benson um, and Alex Cabot from SVU, you know, the heralded Mariska Hargitay, who won an Emmy playing on a procedural show. Like, you know, she was the it girl for a minute on, on TV. And um, that's like a very clear representation of this that I think had a pretty strong lesbian fan base. And then they did have one lawyer, I think it was on the main Law and Order, Serena Sutherland, who, like, was hated by everybody except the lesbians. Like, they were like, she's stiff and robotic. And the lesbians, of course, attached to that <laughs> and um, thought there was more to her. And she was, like, kind of hinted at being gay throughout the show. They didn't ever went there. And then her very last scene before she leaves the show. She says to her boss, are you firing me because I'm a lesbian? I had no idea. The, I've never heard of this. I remember watching this episode, too, when this happened. Obviously, I wasn't following, like, entertainment at that time. I was too young. Yeah. But that is also ingrained in my mind. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like, she's gay. Um, and, like. There's a lot to that, you know, like you have this undercurrent the whole time and you only say it out loud when they're written off the show. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of talk that the actress herself was kind of fired from the show. So it's like, are you punishing this character and her by being gay to get rid of her? You know what I mean? Um, and so there's just a lot of negative elements in that type of representation. And I feel like NCIS Hawaii has a very good understanding of this in creating the characters of Kate and Lucy. Um, It takes this traditional non-canon relationship and characters and makes it canon. And in my opinion, Kate and Lucy are both intentionally created to this mold. And I'm choosing to give the writers credit for this because Jan Nash, one of the creators of the show, Worked on Rizzoli and Isles. So she fuck and she's a lesbian. So she fucking knows all about this. Okay. Uh-huh. She knows what she's doing. And um the other two creators, uh Christopher Silver and Matt Boshak. Matt wrote on Warrior Nun. Um and Christopher and Jan are from the NCIS procedural world. So they know the genre, but I think they really decided to kind of embrace this and tell this queer story on a show that is historically straight. NCIS is like very straight procedural out of all the procedurals. Mm-hmm. I would pick NCIS being the straightest. And okay. they, uh, they've had some great women characters that I've loved. Um, They have had some gay characters, but never, like, serious gay relationships on the shows. Um, And I think Kate really fits that kind of antagonist character in the beginning. She's very closed off. She's very, like, strict on her compass and what she thinks is right, and she's clashing with the team. And although Jane is the main character, so it's not a one-to-one fit, she really fits a different role in the NCIS universe because she's the first woman boss ever in... Is that Vanessa Leger? Yeah. Because who the hell's Jane? Like, are you getting your names wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, That's who Jane is. Um, and so she's kind of fitting a different role. So the actual, like, romantic leading lady in the show is Lucy. And she kind of fulfills the lovable, emphatic, romantic lead in the main cast. She's like the perfect millennial character in the show. And then for the first time, this thing that was like opposite sides, but actually want the same thing and that tension that was about work and then was queer coded romantically is now actually both. And they actually are getting to explore the romantic side and to be able to watch that and see that unfold for me as like the main relationship in the show has been really something that has interested me and like captured me you know what I mean Mm -hmm. okay I mean I don't know if this would be appropriate for me to say here um but you're speaking about the personality types that tend to be portrayed um I would agree with your assessment that uh, Whistler, whose first name I still don't know. Um, what's her it's first Kate. name? Kate. Um, that Kate is, I could not stand her. 
in the beginning. I mean, well, I didn't get, I didn't get, I was like, I don't know. I still can't stand her. <laughs> um, I just, she is, she's uptight. She, I was like, I don't even know what other words to use, but yeah, she has that personality type and I would love to see her be softer. Like, Oh, you will get that if you stick with it. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting because like, I was trying to think about, like, these two characters, you know, who do I like? Why do I like them? Do I dislike them? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I really don't care for Kate, like, at all. Um, Lucy, I could see myself caring about. And then I was thinking, why don't I like Kate? And I was thinking about the characters that I tend to like on television. And Kate, I wouldn't say is a bitch. But, like, when I think about characters that I like, I tend to like the more reserved like less vulnerable bitchy type of people and I don't know why I don't like Kate when I think that she would fit in some ways that kind of mold and I don't know what it is you don't know that's interesting because I've liked her from the beginning so I can't really relate uh to that perspective but I do think like this show takes a lot of time in breaking down those walls from her and showing a different side of her. And I think she's, she's the main cast and she has gotten more invested in the show. Once the realize the audience investment in her, I would say as well. So like she does miss a lot more episodes in the first season. I would say it's a little bit uneven um on when things happen for her because of that um and i could see that taking a minute to to take hold for someone um but i think one of the points that i wanted to make in this is that this is the first time really on a procedural specifically on ncis where like from the beginning, from the design, two of the main characters who are on the main cast are both gay and set up in a relationship with each other and their stories being told. And not only are they gay and in a relationship with each other, they are the main romantic relationship on the show. They are the romantic relationship on the show. And, you know, I think a show like NCIS goes into the stories of millions of homes goes into the houses of millions of people in America. And in our current climate, the type of people that are the typical audience of the show are the type of people that need to be watching this. Mm -hmm. You know, these, these writers and these are telling stories to the day-to-day -day people of America and I don't think we can undersell the importance and the impact of these stories being told because you know I remember being a kid watching it watching these things and like I didn't know I could be gay but deep down I did know and it resonated with me and this is kind of taking that next step where it's not sh only showing that it's okay to be gay but it's also that you can be somebody, mm -hmm. right? Like I didn't think, like I've said before, I didn't think I could be a teacher when I was a kid because I was gay. I I vividly now as an adult remember going back and being like, well, that's just not gonna happen because I won't be able to do what I want in my life if I'm yeah. gay, right? 
And there are kids now that are going to feel that way in many states across America with the kind of push against the LGBT community right now. And those isolated kids in these houses need to see them to see that they can be somebody and they can be the somebody and they can be the star and they can have everything that they want. Yeah, I think that is a good reminder. Um, and I think especially, hmm, I was like, I don't know. My thoughts are, I really don't want to navigate saying this because I'm talking about cops. My thoughts are that in theory, cops are supposed to be people who protect you, keep the peace, you know, all these types of things. Right. And so I would like to believe um, that there are people that aspire to be that for legitimately good reasons. And so right. in a similar vein to your having thought, I can't be a teacher at some point in time because I'm gay, that if there is someone who's very young and is thinking, I want to be this good guy, I want to be a police officer, I want to keep people safe and do good and yada, yada, yada. Um, if they're having those thoughts at that young age, and then seeing the laws that are passed and the ways that queer people are being talked about by the adults and, and the space around them, feeling as if though they cannot pursue such a thing because the people who are spouting and who are going to enforce that are going to be people who are cops. I think that in some ways it can be empowering to believe that you could be that authority figure. And I recognize a lot that's not good with our police system. Um, but I think about for myself, I really appreciate having risen to the position that I am in my company and the impact that I can make for other people. Um Right. At my at my agency, um, queer people, women of color, people who aren't given a voice. Um, and so if I want to look at this in the most hopeful way is that being queer won't keep you from a position that potentially. See, this is why I don't know how to say it. Do you know what I'm trying to say, but I don't know how to say it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's basically... It gives you something to aspire to and it gives you something to um, believe in and see yourself in and it lets you believe in potential um, and that varies in its goodness and its quality because there are some negative things um, about our, you know, police system in this country and our judicial system and there's a lot wrong and you know so you know and the people that can never get into the show because it's a cop show like I get it I'm not trying to convince people that can't get into it to get into it um I just also recognize some of the good that it brings and that is really what I've attached to in the show and what I get from it um and I also think like What's what's really interesting about this show is like 
So every show in the history of time that has gay characters has people that hate that they're gay characters that are in it. Like, this is not a new concept, right? And it's something that has always kind of, like, sometimes I get in fights with people about it. But generally, it's always, like, made me laugh a little bit. You know what I mean? Because it's it's never the majority, usually. Um, and a lot of times, I just don't even pay attention to it or look at it. I think the only time that it's ever been, like more than just a small minority was when we were into the bachelor in paradise world <laughs> that was a little bit more but what's interesting about this show is i'd say like twitter instagram very supportive a few haters whatever facebook v is a literal nightmare for oh, this show i'm not surprised at all <laughs> Like, people had said that, but, like, I don't know. It was one of after their episodes, and I was like, mm, I just want to see these straight people cry a little bit. So I'm going to go look and see what they said. I was shaken after looking at it. I it is that been. bad. Yeah. It is that bad and disgusting and hateful. Like, there are a lot of people that are not happy and that are vocal about it. And it's, like, really reminds you of kind of the world that you live in in a negative way. Because I don't interact with those people or mm. see those things in my life anymore. Like, I know they're there, but I just don't have to see it or interact with it anymore. Yeah. And to, like, see people that say that and feel that, it was just, like... It really, like, fucked me up a little bit. I'm not going to lie that night. It was kind of scary to read that. Um, but I think that's really cool that this show has that. I mean, I don't know how much they pay attention to it. but And they don't ever acknowledge it. But at least the creators of this show have to know that's there. Oh. And yet, still, they choose to prioritize this relationship and keep it as the main relationship. And they've not backed down from it at all um and so i think that's important and i think that's an example of why it's important that they keep doing it what um what station does this share what station does this show air on cbs what streamer can you watch it paramount plus mm. okay because um, I think that I think that the key to me getting into this, if that's going to happen, is watching the whole episodes. Because I don't know that it's going to happen from the playlist. I suggest it. I've watched all of them. Um, I just got to get access so, to it. I hear that. Um, so that's my general <laughs> um, overview of kind of why I've kind of invested from like a of more theoretical aspects i guess on what interests me about this show okay. um but that's how my brain works and so that's one of the first things i thought about um and then there's this other part of me right i said like i grew up watching ncs with my mom and you know she loved it and she loved mark Harmon, and she loved denozo this other character guy and um she's into it right and i watched it as a kid and of course the female character was always my favorite but um <laughs> surprise surprise you know, and to, like, have this show and to have these two gay main characters, it, like, makes me feel connected to her in some way, you know? Um, and I'm like, God, I wish she was here. I wish we could watch this show together and I could talk to her about a show that she would love and a show that I would love, you know, and we'd have something in common. Um, and so I think it's an element of, like, nostalgia, too, that has made me really attached to it so much. 
Well, I think that's a really good point talking about having shows that you can watch as a family. Um, I don't know. I was like, oh, God, this, my brain is going in two different directions. One, it's going in a I don't know how much you know this about like I love history. Um, and so like I'm mm-hmm. pretty nerdy about watching like docu- like history documentaries. And I was watching something about, I don't know, like when the television was invented and like TV shows and shit. And it was talking about how um, like routines in the home like the family would gather around and watch a television show mm-hmm. together and there was only one television set. So you did things together. Um, and so like, that's one thought that I'm having. And then another thought that I'm having is um, even to this day, I will see on Twitter, either from people that I call friends or just like people in general talking about watching a show with their parent and like watching a show that they like but their parents don't know that there's going to be some queer shit that comes up. And like that feeling of like, oh my God, the gays are going to come up. What's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. And so I think that you're saying, you know, like that you wish that this had been like something you could have watched with your mother, I think. And like the feeling of nostalgia it gives you, for me, it gives me this feeling of like hope for other people or like, it gives me a warm feeling to think about the possibility that there are other people who are still residing or visiting or are capable of visiting their families with some frequency that they would sit down and watch a television show together. And that it could be something like this, that, a, that the parent would be interested and have buy-in and with them having that buy-in in a show might allow them to receive these characters more gently than they would, you know, if you threw them into watching the L word or something. <laughs> right. Could share it together. That ain't happening. Okay. I, <laughs> Like, good God, that fucking is, I would, like, roll over and die if I had to watch The L Word with my mom. Um, fucking, I, because The L Word was, like, the show I watched when I was like, ah, fuck, I'm gay. Let me watch The L Word. Um, <laughs> so, you jumped right in. You could imagine the effect that has <laughs> If I had to watch that with my mom, I would have died. Um, but this is a very safe show <laughs> for something like that. Um, so now I want to do a little bit of our, uh, typical method where we like dig into stuff, um, and really go bit by bit. But of course I can't do that for two whole seasons when they're the main couple in relationship because just their scenes alone are like over three hours per season. So that's just not happening. <laughs> um, How many episodes and per season? like 22 each season. Oh television that i miss (laughs) and honestly that's part of why i've loved it is watching it live every week over the whole course of a year and live tweeting and have something to look forward to and that sense of community every week that you have with people when you watch it Mm -hmm. that's fucking the experience that is good about tv not this fucking binge shit where everything's spoiled before you even Mm -hmm. get a chance to watch it and if you're got a life and can't watch it the weekend something comes out, you're like already behind everybody else. Yep. Um, so that's really been a lot of fun in it too for me is that weekly episode and these 22 episodes. I'm fucking over these eight, nine episode seasons. They yeah. just keep cutting episodes. It's bullshit. I and I, call it a I fucking think movie also- and end it. Like make a movie if that's what you want to do. Fucking that's a mini series. That's not a television show. I personally believe a television show should not be shorter than 12 episodes a season. It's funny. In my head, I was thinking 13 episodes. Should be 13 episodes at least. (laughs) 
Yes. And I think stories are suffering. Like, I think we're rushing through mm-hmm. storylines because writers, like, have to get to certain beats to tell a season. And you don't know when there's going to be other seasons now either. And so we're getting truncated seasons, truncated TV show series. So I don't think we're getting, like, the depth of story and depth of character development that we used to get either. And honestly, I think that it's setting up people to have, like, shit attention spans about shows. Like, the amount of times that I have people say that something is slow on a show when it's developing drives me crazy. There are things that are slow, but it's like, can we build up? Like, can we have anticipation? This isn't yeah, this isn't a movie. This isn't fucking TikTok. Like, mm-hmm. it's a story. Like, you're supposed to be engaged in, like, over a period of time. And that's what the medium of television is really fucking about anyway, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And also, like, media literacy and people's ability to understand TV, I feel like, has also gone out the fucking yes. window because of that. Because when you binge, it's like, when I was younger especially i mean i still do this now sometimes but like if i read a book i really loved i would just like skip whole paragraphs to like get to the parts <laughs> that i like because i was like so into it you know what i mean oh my God. and i like needed to know what happened and like i feel like streaming because you take in so much at once like you can't actually perceive everything they're telling you you know yeah i agree it'd be nice it'd be nice if uh I just feel like so old. Wish TV would go back to the old times. Like, that's how I feel. And I think, too, with streaming, like, fucking up all these LGBT storylines and TV shows, I think networks really, you know, streaming stole a lot from these networks and their power in the industry and the stories that they told and even the prestige of TV. And they're fucking everything up right now and making it worse. And... Where they were the beacon of LGBT storylines, now they're not. Mm-hmm. Like, network TV could really step into that gap if they would invest a little bit more on the social side of things to engage fans. Like, I think there's a market there and a place where they could step into to get people back to the network. Um, But since we're going to go just with the Casey stuff... I'm going to give a little description of all the main characters of the show um, just to have, like, kind of a background knowledge of the show before we dive into the... Let me tell you who I think the characters are, and then you can tell us who they really are. (laughs) All right. You're, like, V is clearly humoring me, and I'm very appreciative for her for this. (laughs) Um. Okay, so I was like, I'm gonna give you the what I think their names are and what they're what they're who they are. Okay, Kate Whistler just learned her full name today. Is... Who? There's a reason though, because she is not called by her first name ever in the show till the very end of season oh, one. Oh, well, that makes sense. Why I didn't she's know referred her name. to as Whistler. Yes. What's unique is a lot of these shows characters are only referred to by their last names Mm -hmm. but because ncis hawaii is ohana and family and they're different everybody goes by their first names that makes sense like i only know lucy's first name (laughs) yeah except for kate who goes by whistler because she's kind of an outsider and jane sometimes goes by tenant because she's the boss but those are the only exceptions 
Okay. All right. So Kate Whistler is, I remember her, is the blonde lady who's tall, who does not work at the main building and comes and visits occasionally to yell at everyone. She. Yes. (laughs) She and Lucy apparently have a history that precedes, predates the first episode that they're in together. And she's got a lot of walls up. And I think that's the extent of what how I would describe her. <laughs> yeah. So she's definitely purported as like the bitchy character, the mean girl. She's like very put together and controlled. She doesn't really show or lean into emotions. But, you know, like typically these characters are like talked about as an onion. But I feel like she's more like a hard shell of chocolate with a gooey caramel center. Wait. It has to be alluring in some way. You know, like an onion to me, like talking about this like beautiful lesbian characters and onion just kind of repulsed me. So I had to think of a new analogy. Oh, okay. Well, she should be like a Ferrero Rocher because then like the little bump. Yes. Or a little Like prickly. a spiky outside. Because yes. I need her to be prickly. prickly. I need some prickles somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I like it. That's a good one. Ferrero Rocher. She's a Ferrero Rocher. Great. Um. And she works as the DIA liaison. So, like, that's the intelligence aspect um, of the show. And she later switches to the FBI. And she, I guess, outside of Lucy, she starts to develop a relationship with Jane and Ernie in season one and Kai in season two. And she starts embedding more into the team. Okay, next one. Okay, so Lucy is the short brunette who I wouldn't necessarily say bubbly, but she seems easy to talk to and it seems like people like her. She looks like she's got a fear side um, and can, you know, like snap and protect herself. Um, She, mm, and this is part of, I think, maybe I'll see in the future. She seems very invested in Whistler and I don't feel like Whistler is very invested in her. So I'm just like, Lucy, girl, get you a girl who wants you. Because um, I'm I'm still in season one. <laughs> um, yeah. And... Yeah. Kate's not great at showing that she wants her back. I will admit to that. Yeah. Yes. I was like, is there anything else about Lucy? Um, yeah. That's, I feel like that's the extent of my knowledge about her. Okay. So Lucy Tara is the junior special agent on the team and she's like really anxious to prove herself kind of in the workplace uh because of that and i would say that she's kind of every character's favorite character (laughs) in the show she's this upbeat and spunky kind of full of life and love character um and i really feel like she's a lot of the heart of the core cast and the charm of it that kind of keeps them all together um and she's also you know tiny but tough she has some of the best fight scenes in the show um i love the little bit anytime she does something cool the excuse is always that she was a flyer which was like cheerleading and i just like that running bit a lot about her character for some reason i think it's so cute and she's also from texas and the mainland and she is afraid of the ocean. <laughs> Where the hell is she here? <laughs> do, do we she, get to have a conversation about that at some point? 
No, it's kind of this running joke that's very interesting. Like, Lucy's so fucking weird, okay? Like, she's, like, beautiful and lovable and everybody loves her, but she's very quirky, and I really like that about her. Um, And her fear of the ocean is kind of part of that character for her. Okay, okay, all right. Um. Okay, the other name I know is Jane Tennant, which is Vanessa Lachey, and all I know about her is... She is boss lady, seems to have a man, I'm guessing is married, um, is <laughs> really upset about the her best friend she had to send away for treason, I guess. So, like, I don't know, she cried. Like, she looks like she cries. She looks like she has a heart. <laughs> that, that's yes. what I got on her. Jane is the head bitch in charge of the show, uh, and she's the first woman sack in this position. Um, and the whole thing about her is that she leads a little differently. Like, she's not trying to fulfill a man's role in a man's world. She's making her own spot in a man's world, and she leads with a lot of empathy. Um but she's also really tough and she's also former CIA. Um, and so that's a little bit of an edge to her. And she's also a divorced single mom with two kids. Was she um, married in season one? Does she get divorced during the show? No, she was divorced. Who the hell was she leaning on in the episode I'm thinking of? Is she dating? She does have some boy toys that shows up. Well, that boy toy show might be one of you. the boy toys. Um, yes, it's a boy toy probably. Um, honestly, most of her love interests have been kind of uninspiring to me. Um, her season one one is too much like her to be interesting. Her season two one was kind of interesting. I think her best friend is her best character relationship. It brings out the best of both of them and is most interesting to me. Um, is that Maggie who went for treason or is that someone else? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Maggie. I think Matt. I love Maggie. I know she went away from treason, but she can keep coming back to the show for all I care. I think they have a great uh, dynamic and chemistry between the two of them. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember any other characters? Okay. I'll go through quickly who I remember, and then you can say it all because I don't have these people's names or a lot of shit to say about them. Um, there is the guy who I think has a beard. I don't know. He sits mm-hmm. at a computer a lot and he <laughs> seems to ask Lucy a lot of questions about her relationship with Whistler. Um, so there's he that. He doesn't guy. have a beard. <laughs> oh, g- great. <laughs> you're mixing the two guys. You're mixing two of the guys up. <laughs> okay. Well, you know the one I'm talking about, the one who sits at the computer and yes. asks Lucy about Whistler a lot and encourages her. Then there's the young guy who looks like. I don't know. Is he strong? Is he the eye candy? I don't know. I know nothing about him other than he exists. Um, Whistler's boss made an appearance in one of the scenes. I don't know how often he comes around. Are there two? Are there two men? That's it. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. (laughs) Okay. So the rest of the main cast is made up of Ernie, who's the, the kooky tech guru with a heart of gold um that is the number one casey shipper in the show he's pretty uh he's probably lucy's closest friend in the show um and so he's pretty invested in them um and then there's then there's jesse um who is like kind of the senior agent under jane out of all the agents and he is kind of the uh, 
family man that we never see the family of because he's like the model and the self-insert male character where like he's the badass and the guys want to be him and the women love him and you know he's like meant to fulfill that role in the show um but he's a good guy i really do love him he's not really he's a masculine character but he doesn't really dive into like toxic masculinity um and he's a kind of a big brother figure to lucy and then there's Kai, who is like the local Hawaiian in the cop out of all the cops. Um, and he's a former Marine veteran who's got, you know, kind of this dark past that he's got to deal with coming home. And he's like guarded, but sweet and surprising under the surface. That's kind of his his character base. And then Alex, Jane's son, is also main character. And so he's basically just there to cause chaos in her life. Yeah. Um, older? How old is this kid? Older. He's like a teenager. Okay. I have not seen him. And he's like interesting because he, he adds like this chaos and kind of opposition to her sometimes because he had to live with a mom who was in the CIA, right? And he rebels a little bit. But he really loves and respects her at the end of the day. So that's kind of the main um, relationship with that. But those are all the main characters in the show. Fantastic. I have either meshed two men together in my head or I you don't know remember. Because <laughs> there's definitely at least one young guy in my head. <laughs> and I remember him standing and keeping someone from doing something. Whistler from doing something. And then I have another guy. Is it the same guy? I don't know. Um, <laughs> telling Lucy that she can't go and do a thing because something about the family. And he packs his shit up and leaves. So same guy, different guy. Don't know. Um, but not Ernie. I, think I know this, that much. <laughs> I think this is interesting because I feel like you're fulfilling the role I usually fulfill about not caring about men. Yeah. Um. And surprisingly, any cop show of all shows, I don't have a man to hate and pick on like I no. usually do. Yeah. Um, like side episode of the day characters, but like none of the main cast. I like all of them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> that is good. That's nice. It's a lesbian so. miracle. <laughs> <laughs> on this pride. <laughs> yeah. So now should we get into some scenes? We can. Oh my god. I like don't even know. Okay, so let me let me just start this off with. Katie, no. Has it always been you? No, it's been you and Doc. I think I think it's been both of you who've been telling me to watch this show. I mean, and other people too. Like other people on Twitter who are like good friends and like strangers for podcast have been telling me to watch and I can be a little bit stubborn about things and I can also get oppositional about things <laughs> so it's well I the thing about it is I'm like because I feel like part of the reason you're not invested is because you were forced to watch because I wanted to do this podcast and not because you wanted to watch it am I wrong about that assessment well the thing is is so a lot of times I watch things because um, they're on my Twitter so much that like it just annoys me and so like I want to know what everyone's talking about and I don't know how much I saw about them until like so I do think that people were telling me to watch it before I started seeing shit on Twitter 
So it is possible that that's like a big factor for me. Um, but also from what I've seen on Twitter, it hasn't inspired me to watch. Um, so it's I think it's a combination of my opposition and like I just haven't seen anything that's like really interested me. Um, so my whole point was just to say that I have caved. This is my third attempt at watching the playlist. I'm also just really bad. Well, the thing is, is like I'm really bad about like sitting down and devoting time to pay attention to a thing. So like the first time I was like, oh, finding a playlist is so hard. And so I quit. And then the next time I was given a playlist and I think I went to watch it and I don't know why it didn't last, but it didn't. And then this time I was watching, this is the furthest I've ever watched because I was preparing for this podcast. And I will say my interest grew enough to say I could like them if I watched the whole episodes. And that's, that's progress, Katie. (laughs) Let's take that. I'll take it. I'll take it. So also my playlist went out of order apparently at times. And so like, it was one of those things, like I had it playing while I was doing something else. So like I was kind of watching, kind of doing something else. So at some point something didn't make sense. So I went to go check what was going on. And then I saw like a bunch of like clips that were skipped. And I was like, Oh fuck, that's why that didn't make sense to me. So like I had to like go back manually. So I did not watch as much as I saw in chronological order i know the last thing i saw was from episode 20 season one but i may have missed a lot of shit in the beginning i really don't fucking know i did my best i think it is like i do think you lose an element if you don't watch all the episodes so Mm -hmm. i will say that and i think like one of the things that the show actually does is embed them into all of the stories in the show and the characters lives and like you know there'll be tension between them in the workplace but it's not the point of the scene and they don't actually interact with each other but it's just there Mm -hmm. you know and things that I mean that doesn't fucking happen usually for us you know what I mean yeah and so I think there's things like that that also enhance our story um but I fucking am into this so I have lots to say um, I have lots to say about um, Tori Anderson, who plays Kate Whistler, and Yasmin Albustami, who plays Lucy. Um, I love both of them. So, you know how I like to get and dive into the weeds and stuff. Um, but I want to start with the pilot because it is what kicks off the whole thing. Um, and so That's I think what. Am I uh-huh. right in what I said earlier is that they have a history and relationship that predates the Okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't yeah. miss something in the playlist. Okay. Yeah. We learn we know very little about that history until towards the end of season 1, too. Oh, okay. Um it's just kind of hinted at. And interestingly, I don't know if this is true cuz I got involved late, but I read somewhere that because of their chemistry in the pilot they decided to give them a history they didn't necessarily have a history immediately don't know if that's true okay um but it kind of the pilot is really interesting because they really start off specifically with with lucy and whistler having tension and um 
Lucy kind of pushing Kate's buttons and Kate like reacting badly to it to the point where she's like wanting to file a complaint against Lucy with her boss and NCIS. Um, but then, you know, Lucy kind of needs Kate's help <laughs> um, because they need to solve a case. And so she has to suck it up and go apologize to Kate. And um, she goes to Whistler's house. And it's interesting because it's like this whole buildup when you don't know that they're a couple yet because there's no romantic thing hinted between them. Um, where you're like, what the fuck? Why does Lucy know where Kate lives, right? And Kate's kind of ant antagonistic at first. And she's like, are you here to take a swing at me? But then Lucy apologizes. And it just, like, after that, it cuts to them, like, frantically making out across the room. Um, and then the second they start to take it to another level, Lucy says, we can't do this again. And then that's kind of the hint that there's a history there in a romantic relationship between them unveiled in the first episode. Yeah, so uh, I do remember that she showed up at the house and I was very, like, I know that she was there for, like, a work-related thing. So when they, like, went into making out and then Whistler was just like, I need a drink after that type of thing, I was just like, what the fuck is up with them? Like, what what, what has happened between them? Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting because there's an extended scene that was released after that didn't air in the pilot hmm. where they're still in the hallway like after lucy apologizes where it shows kind of kate going in for the kiss first um and then like she like kind of pulls back and apologizes and then lucy goes back in for the kiss and they like go into the apartment um which i think didn't matter to me because i understand like the choice but i think maybe you would have liked that better um in the context of the show maybe yeah i don't know but um i thought what was interesting about this is like kind of the proposition of what i was talking about earlier right it's like what was formerly like homoerotic tension between two characters is like actually canon homoerotic pigeon mm -hmm. and it's not just like pigeon they're fucking gay and they're like showing you that in the first episode and i thought that was pretty unique you know um they're not hiding it they're telling you right away like this is a story and this is where we're going with it well i definitely feel like that's god i really hate saying like that's really bold but like you know i'm so used to shows not giving us canon queerness until they feel secure that by having a pilot show that like feels like massive. Yeah. And um, I think there's like small elements that are meant to kind of start establishing the relationship too. Like Kate's dressed down at home with her hair down and she's like really different than her work attire. And it's a lot more like cozy and warm a little bit. And I think that was kind of an interesting tidbit to also establish like that Lucy knows a different side of Kate than everybody else um, already and is like familiar with it. Even though there's like this tension between them, part of it is that she knows the other part of Kate too that nobody else gets to see. Really including the audience for a lot of the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. Um. 
So I think what is the scene that was like the scene that captured me and sold me on them was like their next big episode, which was episode six. Um, And it was written by Amy Rutberg, which is just want to say because it's going to become a running theme in some of the best (laughs) episodes for them. Um, And they're like the NCIS team is investigating like an intelligence case. And because Whistler works for the DIA, she comes to shut down the mission. And um, Lucy is very upset with Kate about this and like challenges her um, and kind of accuses her of not caring. And um, I think there's a lot of subtlety in those interactions that like really kind of started to draw me in between them Um, because it's kind of like they're arguing about this case and it's like someone's husband that's missing and um you know kate is kind of defending herself like so they're arguing about this case and it's about this couple's like husband that's gone and lucy kind of i mean kate is defending herself to lucy and she says i'm given orders orders that come before relationships and love and feelings and that's kind of the premise of her character in the beginning. She sides with order more than she sides with even herself and her own feelings. Um, And Lucy kind of challenges her, like, are we still talking about Kayla Barlow in this case? Or are we talking about us, basically? And um, Kate kind of just softens in this very interesting way for, for just, like, a hint of a second where it like shows that she does have underlying feelings for Lucy, I think. And she just kind of shuts down and says that this is nothing to do with what happened between us. But there was just a little glimpse into her there that really started to capture me. And then in the other, on the opposite side, I think Lucy is so expressive. I think her frustration with Kate is also a sign of her feelings to her. Because I think she knows another side of Kate and she knows what she's capable of and that she is more compassionate and that she does care about these, you know, cases and these people. And she's frustrated that Kate's actions aren't reading that way to her. Okay. Um, I remember that line um, because, I mean, like, I I could tell that they were showing what it meant for their relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and not just like what was going on. Um, it made me wonder if there was anything that specifically had been said or done that made her believe she could not be with Lucy because it would have negative implications or consequences on the work that they do. Um, but maybe that's I a think- too literal read of it. No, I don't think it is. I think there is. I think there's there's a lot about Kate that kind of is explored throughout the season um, that they keep getting into. And part of it is herself being guarded. But I also think like there's this element because we see her a lot in isolation, like because she's not part of the NCIS team. She's like in her own unit is that she's this like young, pretty 
smart woman trying to make it in this very male dominated field. And I think by doing things perfectly is how she's succeeded in that world. And the pressure that it takes to be perfect, the effort that it takes to be perfect, and part of her kind of personal history is kind of what has formulated this in her. So I think having a relationship and also being an out woman specifically in this job, I think are part of the things that are influencing her in this relationship with Lucy and not wanting to be um, open with it. Uh, and then, you know, I think there's the supposedly the other drama with this like ex that shows up, but we'll get into that <laughs> in a minute. Yeah. Um, and then there's an interesting moment where Kate is kind of convinced to join the NCIS team in this episode. And it's like, obviously because of career benefits that's offered to her. But I think it's also shown that she genuinely does care about these things. She just has a different way of doing them. And so like by joining and helping the team, I think it's important to show this like depth to her character and then uh, it like give the audience a glimpse of what Lucy can see in Kate and why she has a genuine interest in her when Kate up to this point has mostly been in like opposition to them. Um, and it's kind of like the segue into her not always being the source of opposition, but like starting to understand the team more and become a part of it. So she, so she becomes a part of their NCIS team? Not in a technical way, but like in season two, she's like considered part of the team, even though she's a liaison from a different agency. Um, but that's like a long-term storyline for her. Um, and then it moves a lot slower because it's a procedural. So there's only so much personal storytelling going on. Um, but then we get to the scene of this episode, which like is like heralded as one of the best Casey scenes in the show. And it's like, as I talked about my love of procedurals, it's like the procedural romantic moment. And I'm so happy that I got to have a gay one of these in my life. Um, and it's like after the case is solved, uh, NCIS saves the day and Kate comes in at the last minute to really help the team. Um, Kate is like walking to her car in the parking lot at night uh, to go home and Lucy is standing there waiting for her. And Kate, you know, when she sees Lucy give her a smile, she like softens immediately. And instead of starting with this plate from this place of, you know, conflict <laughs> um she like starts with a joke um and lucy decides to say like i'm here to thank you what you did today i guess you do work in the love department after all and um kate is kind of shocked that lucy is thanking her for helping and i think that's an interesting part of her character because She's not used to people looking beneath the surface for her. She's used to people just seeing that exterior and just taking her at surface value. And I don't think Lucy ever has. I think Lucy really cracks through that a lot. And I think it takes Kate by surprise. Um, 
And it's striking because of how guarded she is. Uh, Lucy cracks through it so much, even in the beginning of the episodes for me. Um, I'd really like to know. And- I'd really like to know how the hell they started. Um, cause we learned that. Yeah, I'll be really interested because I just like don't know how this would have started with with the way that Whistler. Hmm, yeah, I don't know. I just can't see. I mean, like I can think of a lot of possibilities. I just don't know that there's anyone in particular that feels like ah, that must be how it started. From what I know about these characters, and granted, I don't know much about these characters. Um, so I, I'd I'd be so curious to know how it started. Uh, I think that might also help give me better understanding of them. Yeah. Um, So I'll just tell you now. There's no point in waiting. So it's revealed way later, like after they're, when they're broken up, that um, they met before Kate started working at the DIA when she was in town for a conference. Um, and they just met outside of work at a bar randomly. And they just had like their own romantic weekend together and went their separate ways. Um, and then like months later, Kate was transferred to the branch in Hawaii and walks in the door. And then they have to kind of live with this history outside of work, not knowing that they worked in kind of the same industry and same field. Ah, huh, I like that better than what I thought potentially. I hadn't even thought about the possibility of them meeting outside of the context of work. I like that. Yeah, so it's like Lucy's first introduction to her wasn't Whistler, it was Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she became Whistler, and then they kind of had to deal with that. Um, so that's really kind of the context of it. That makes um, a lot more sense to me as to why Lucy likes her in all honesty (laughs) because i just don't know how she would be interested in whistler um that they would have developed this weird on and off again thing um it makes a lot more sense that she met kate and then when she meets whistler she knows who kate is um and And she sees those those small parts of kate when they happen you know yeah and i think like there's a lot of the actors do to play it and I do think it it is enhanced looking back at it once you know more uh, about it. But I think that, like, Tori, who plays Whistler, has a lot of command over her face. She's very, she's extremely expressive. And um, so I think she's able to give, like, really quick glimpses into the character and then change her face again. Um, That is pretty intriguing for me about it. And then I also think, like, Yasmin is really great at, like, Lucy's subtlety and approach with Kate. Um, It's all in the eyes with her. She really expresses a lot in her eyes. Like, anytime she's feeling something, I feel like you can see it. Like, softness, the fire, like, the, um, like, insight into her is all there. Um... And so they, you know, have a conversation where Kate just says, you know, it was the right thing to do. And Lucy says, you know, we didn't make it easy on you. And Kate says, no one does. I'm used to it. And she tells Lucy, like, you're lucky. You have your team and your boss and you have each other's backs and you still want to be friends at the end of the day. 
And I think that's kind of an insight into the, like the very lonely character that Kate is and how isolated she is and kind of why she's so prickly. Um, is the work that she does individual? Like, does she not have a team at her home base? I think probably working in intelligence is probably pretty isolating. It's probably a more singular kind of business and less of a team environment. Um, and I think it's, I think it's kind of, she's meant to be working in a more traditional men's world of the government than the team works in with the NCIS Pearl team. Oh, look, I can relate um, to hating everyone I work with. So, like, no judges if that's Whistler's case or, you know, potentially it's that it is more isolating and, you know, men. Um, I But I was just curious. I'm like, why do you feel so alone, lady? Yeah. And um, I think there's a moment that Lucy takes to process that information. Like, she understands Kate a little bit better in that moment. And she's like, I'm sorry, you don't have that. And Kate, like, takes a step closer and she lets her shield down just a little bit more and says, you know, it's not always easy being the bad cop. And I just, like, Tori's breathing here is perfect. Like, she's almost out of breath by being vulnerable in this moment and actually sharing that with Lucy. And then Lucy takes another step closer and says that I don't think you're bad. And she puts um Kate's hair behind her ear and like hovers by her cheek and she says in fact I think you're amazing and like there's this way that like Kate quietly gasps and like kind of leans into this touch like the touch starved socially isolated lesbian that she is where she like just can't resist it that is just um very captivating to me when I'm watching it. Is this still the parking Lucy, lot episode? Yes. Okay. And Lucy is like um very serious and very genuine kind of saying this. And like Kate visibly reacts. Like she's kind of stunned and taken aback that Lucy feels that way for her and is telling her that. And I think instantly in that moment, you can see it switch in her eyes where you can really see that she has real genuine feelings for Lucy too. Um, and there's like this beat afterwards where they're like looking at each other and Lucy gives like a slight glance down to Kate's lips, but then she like clicks her tongue and tries to like regroup and get more friendly and kind of put that distance back between them. Um, and it's like, oh, so you want to grab a beer? And she's like a little bit insecure and a little bit hopeful. And then Kate takes another step into Lucy's space. And then there's like this dramatic beat and then they kiss and the music swells. And it's like this like perfect, like kind of romantic moment. Um, and they break apart and Kate's smiling. And it's like the first time we've really seen Kate smile. And Lucy sees it and smiles, and then they lean back into the kiss. Well, you're you're selling you're telling it like it's a really magical moment. I'll go rewatch it and actually like you know pay attention because um, I probably am always doing something else and not really watching them. So I'll go rewatch. 
Yeah, I mean, I think really the the thing that draws me in is like the performance and it's the two of them and like what they're doing in each of these scenes that really starts to like capture me and become interesting and like really start to think about characters because that's really what I like in TV is like character development and learning about characters and getting into them. I'm trying to think if I've ever got into a ship from watching a playlist. Because I really think that that's like one of the biggest barriers is like because I have no investment in them. Like I don't know them. These are just like two faces, you know, like. Yeah. Um, Especially with a show that's procedural where there's so much about them that's happening outside of, you know, the the, the narrower context of their relationship. Um, and And I'm the kind of person where like I can't get into a romantic ship until I care about them as individuals. Um, I don't know if there's anything else I've ever watched from clips. So, yeah, maybe that's it. I mean, I, I I definitely think it's a huge thing. Wouldn't it be hilarious if I fucking figure out how to watch um all the episodes and then I'm the hugest Casey stan? You'll be so happy. <laughs> I will. Um, but like I think too, like the scene is so incredible because they're given the time and they're given the weight. And there's kind of character establishment going on and they're building the relationship and they're having these dramatic shots and there's the dramatic lighting, kind of like the spotlight on them where it's like, you know, the light and the darkness and there's wind in the hair and there's the levels of performances from the actors. And I just think like to get that romantic moment with all of the intention behind it early on in the show between them was something that like truly captured my attention that I wasn't expecting from the show at all when I started watching it. And so this next scene that really stands out to me is um, episode 10 and it's written by Jan Nash, who is one of the creators. Um, And they are kind of in a relationship and they've been keeping it a secret essentially. Um, And there's been a little bit of tension about it. Lucy doesn't want to be a secret. Kate, obviously, is one that wanted it to be a secret. Um, But Lucy decides to be with her anyway. And Lucy gets Kate to agree to go to a secret pop-up restaurant that nobody they know will be at to go out on a date. Is this the one where they have a glass of wine? That's a different Yes. Oh, it is? It's that one? Okay, go on. So this is one of my favorite scenes of theirs specifically because of lucy um and kate reaches kind of across the table at dinner and grabs lucy's hand and thanks her for caring about how she feels about it and lucy kind of takes a breath and slowly intertwines her hands together and says she very much cares and you know like dramatic hand holding and lesbian relationships is very important for television stories you know we need that um if we don't talk about that at least once when we're talking about a ship is it a good ship you know there has to be at least one instance of like memorable (laughs) dramatic hand holding exactly um and then you know after that moment and like it's a it's a way Yasmin does it with Lucy it's like so captivating like you can feel like her heart beating out of her chest watching her almost I think um and Kate clearly struggles to get out at that point that um 
she thinks next time they could go to a regular restaurant. So she's kind of initiating and clearly showing that she's willing to step out of her comfort zone and take the relationship to the next relationship. And Lucy is taken aback by that. And she's like, where people can see us. <laughs> and Kate just shyly nods, but it's like happy about it. And Lucy just like gasps and grabs her face and is so shocked and happy um, by this that I was just like, so riveted by it when I was watching it. And I think where episode six starts to give you like an inner look into who Kate is, this episode really highlights Lucy because when you see like this depth of feeling across her face and, you know, she starts with trying to suppress it. And then when Kate confirms that she wants to take the relationship to the next step, like the giddiness just takes complete control of her. And like, I think she's been, she's had to suppress so much of her feelings for it to just like release in that moment um, and show how much she really does like Kate uh, was just so captivating to me. And I think their chemistry is like very subtle and electric and it's very romantic, but not like tied to a sexual intimacy. Um, but then they don't shy away from that either in the episode because Lucy's very ready to hit that by the end after uh, Kate's uh, deciding to take things to kind of the next level. So I just, the scene really left me breathless when I first watched it. I was it like, am sexy. I really getting to watch? No. Okay. No. Uh, they very much hint at sex. They okay. don't really overtly talk about it in the show. Um, they do something interesting in season two about that. Uh, but um, yeah. But they're not, they don't shy away from that either, if that makes sense. Okay. It's not like you have to guess it. Um, <laughs> you know, they just like give each other high fives and call it a day. It's not that. I'm um, thinking about the sensei dildo on the floor, like the rainbow dildo. I was like, so no, so you don't see any dildos in, in the house. No, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> um, not in the CBS procedural. <laughs> um, and like, you know, it's just like, this felt like something that I would have seen out of a straight romance and a procedural typically. Um, and they treat the relationship like they would any straight romance. That was the main couple, like in terms of equality and treating them like their own characters. But I feel like there's a specificity to it that feels like it's also for us and about us. Um, and it's not just a generic kind of approach either um so those were episode six and episode 10 were the episodes that like really sold me on the ship and i was like uh i'm in it i'm watching the whole thing now and then they break up <laughs> i think this is where my thing skipped around so i think the play was skipped around a little bit because i think that i'd seen some other clips from someone else's like pulling those videos into their playlist type of thing and so um there was just like at some point where I'm like, didn't they just kiss? Like, why are they broken up now? I was so confused. Listen, there's a lot of contention about this amongst fans because people don't think that it makes sense. They feel like it came out of nowhere. Like, 
Kara is a huge source of tension in the fandom. Okay. Because um, there was this one moment where Lucy says something, and I don't remember, but like Lucy said something really emotional about Whistler. And I was like, am I supposed to feel like they had a relationship? Like that I care that they're not together? Yeah. And I think so, it's I skipped some of the scenes. Because yeah, like, I think there might be that. I do also think it happens in an interesting chron- like time frame because I think the show was initially picked up for a short order, which happens a lot in first seasons. Like they get 12, 13 episodes and then they can get picked up for the rest of the season if the network likes it. Um, so right around the time where the pickup the the uh pickup happens is when they break up. and go into the second season so i think they then were like okay we have to think about how to extend the story over the course of the season and not get them together right away so i think that's part of it um on why the pacing might not be exactly right for fans um and so the cara of it all i'm going to talk a little bit about it so the question doesn't make sense many say no I say it makes more sense than people want it to make, but I also really don't care if it makes sense. Um, She's basically like Whistler's ex-girlfriend that thinks she's her girlfriend because Whistler never broke up with her. Oh my god, wait. Wait, is Kara the the girl that when Lucy goes to Whistler's house is there? Yes. I thought you were talking about the short-haired girl by the elevator who dates Lucy at some point. No, that's a different one. Okay, so I'm talking about a... These are both... Yes. Down the line. (laughs) These are both... uh, These are both blatant plot devices. Um, And I guess that's why I don't fucking care about them that much. And I'm not really upset. And I don't really care if they make sense. Because it's... Like, I understand why just a plot device can be frustrating. But I think it brings out a lot of depth in the characters and it helped me understand the story they were trying to tell. So I don't think it's intrinsically bad in that way because it really is meant to like deepen the feelings. Like sometimes angst deepens feelings and adds more weight to a relationship. And like, I really think that's what they were trying to do with all this. and I don't know. I won't say whether it was perfectly executed or not because I don't care. Like I said, um, I truly don't. And I do recognize I have like late adapter privilege because I didn't watch it live and have to suffer, you know. Um, but I like angst sometimes, you know. Um, like there's something to me when like actors are doing dramatic scenes and it's just like the two of them going at it and they're like really emotional and they're like really into it and you kind of feel like you don't know who's stealing the scene from who because the perspective keeps changing and you kind of side with both of them and you're super engaged. Like there's just something about that that I fucking love watching. Yeah. Um and I think it in really good ships, I think scenes like that are usually some of the best. Um, so I I kind of liked that it was giving me that element of drama between them. Um, 
So, like, could they have chosen another way to help build char Kate's character? Yes. Are there plot holes that might not add up? Probably. But I think the point of the story is more about communication and living true to yourself and all the different things that that can mean. And Kate suppressed so much of herself and had such a hard time admitting what she really wanted that maybe she even lost faith that she could have it. And then what that loss of faith in yourself can actually spiral into. And she got herself in a big old mess and had to figure her way out of it. And that really forces her to open up and become kind of a, uh, a more well-rounded character than you see in the beginning. Um, and Lucy's uh, is a lot about, I think, inner strength, in my opinion, um, she's so full of light and love and it's pretty contagious, but, um, I think there's a lot of like insecurity in her that comes out through this. Um, that's really interesting to see. And yeah, I love the drama. I love the tension, the emotion it elevated their scenes. Um, it built weight and depth into the relationship and like, you know, Kate and Kara, we're clearly just a lesbian situationship, okay? And we just have to collectively move on. <laughs> oh, this girl came all the way to Hawaii to visit her. Yeah, she's probably a little delusional. That's what I would think. <laughs> okay. I was like, I, I know nothing beyond the fact that she thought that Lucy was pizza. And I was like, dumbass, feel the room. This is not pizza delivery. This is your girls with another girl. Yeah, like, you know, I just doesn't, the, these are where the plot holes come in, because it's like, okay, yeah, like, maybe she wasn't officially broken up with, but, like, you're in fucking D.C. and Kate's in Hawaii, you know, there's a whole time difference there, first of all, that if you're not talking to each other very often, like, you know, it's like, mm. why would you feel compelled to go to Hawaii for that? Um, and it's like... And also, how can you fucking afford that? TV money, I guess. But, you know, I think Kara was just U-hauling it a little bit. And maybe Kate was Mike the Situation Sorrentino up in here. Like, not being clear about this being a situationship. And, you know, we had we just had some typical lesbian drama. It doesn't have to make sense. It just was. Um, so... I guess there's, like, I don't want to talk too much about most of the season. There's only a couple, like, emotional things towards the end that I really liked. But I guess the journey from them from here is, like, Kate having to reckon with herself. Um, and um, she's pretty much immediately realizes that she fucked up and was like, oh, wait, I actually like Lucy more than I thought I did. I should have, like, really... Uh, put more into that relationship when I had it. And um, so a lot of the season is her trying to like make amends. Um, and Lucy's pretty heartbroken uh, throughout the this, this season. I think if we put her ourselves in her position in episode 10, where she finally like fully succumbs to her feelings for Kate. And it's like yanked out from under her in a really horrible way afterwards. There's like, a lot of her not trusting herself and how she perceives relationships, right? Wait, so I, have a question. I think so. They were officially together. Well, you know, unofficially, officially together. When 
Kara was there. And then does the short-haired girl from the elevator, like, are they still broken up for that length of time? Or do they get back? Yes, Kara never makes another appearance at all. Okay, then I maintain my statement of Lucy talks about being heartbroken. I didn't understand. I I didn't know where the heartbreak was coming from. The heartbreak is that she thought that that Kate didn't tell her she had a girlfriend the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I mean is just like I didn't, uh, and again, it's maybe because I missed scenes. I just like I didn't see what, the, I didn't see how significant their relationship was to to equate to my heart is broken. Um, be pissed off, be sad, but like she looked really, really fucking devastated in the scene that I'm talking that like I'm kind of vaguely well, remembering. I think there's. I think it's like, and this is the thing, I think it's, it ties to the procedural and how episodes play out. It's like building, like, their relationship gets more weight and depth after they've broken up than they were when they were together. Because they don't, so much was left unsaid when they were together in that it crumbles before it gets said. Mm-hmm. So all of that is kind of floating out around them while they're, like, dealing with the fallout, I think. And, like, that's what really elevates their relationship, in my opinion, um, is, like, navigating through that. And it's kind of like a slow build through it. Like, Lucy, in the immediate episode, she's heartbroken, but she's not, like, emotionally devastated right away. Like, that's not how you see her. Like, you see her kind of being in denial and not wanting to talk to Kate and being angry. And it like, it just kind of progresses through as time progresses and they're forced to work with each other. Um, and, um, Kate is kind of forced to confront the consequences of like running and running from her grief and herself and her feelings and how she let her fear control her to the point where the fear was actually controlling her life in ways she didn't want it to. Um, Because I think I didn't talk about this, but there's a scene where it's kind of revealed that um, a little bit of Kate's past and that she had a brother that died in the war um and that like grief i think has really impacted her character and is what's made her close up a lot um and they talk a little bit more about that in the next season but so there's like little things like that with her too um but basically like that's kind of what kate's journey is about um to to face that uh fear really and confront parts of herself that she didn't want to um and then it kind of builds to a scene later in the season episode 17 where kate finally apologizes to lucy like so they've been in a kind of this antagonistic relationship uh for a little bit over the past few episodes and kate and lucy are ended up paired up because ernie is secretly taken by a government agency because there's a cyber attack threat and they don't know that and they have to find him um and so through this them being paired up on the case um kate is trying to like put the past behind them and get past the animosity but lucy's struggling with that and kate trying to be friendly and be supportive of her because she feels like she can't move on because kate never actually apologized she's only tried to explain what happened and not like 
confess to the hurt that she caused her. Um, until there's a scene in this episode where Kate does finally apologize to Lucy. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a really good apology where she's like, it's all my fault. I was scared of breaking up with Kara and starting something with you. Cause you, you know, basically were the one that was going to change things and that intimidated her. Um, and she's sorry that she hurt her. And, um, there's a moment where Lucy finally like breaks and this is where you first to see her more like emotional about the breakup again, where she's, um, like kind of taken aback and you see, um, her kind of put her guard down a little bit and she gives Kate a hug and she's kind of struggling to keep her emotions at bay and, um, she thanks Kate for apologizing to her. And um, Kate is also kind of trying to hold back tears, but she knows this moment is about her. It's about Lucy. Um, so she doesn't, you know, she tries to keep it together and just give Lucy that apology. And I think that's like a real turning point in the relationship for them uh, because Kate is kind of fully admitting something to herself and to lucy and kind of starting the amends process i don't remember this apology i wonder if i saw it i don't know it seems like you're all over the place with how you watch the episodes <laughs> so it's really hard to put it together when you don't watch it in order i think yell at my television um, it wasn't me i pressed play on the playlist <laughs> Oh, the TV. So there's two more scenes in season one that I want to talk about. The first is from the episode Nightwatch, episode 20. Again, written by Amy Rutberg, who's like the Casey B writer, in my opinion. Like, she writes all the best Casey episodes. They're like, we want a good Kate and Lucy scene. Amy got it. Amy really intertwines things from the past episodes and I think really does a lot of good character stuff in her writing that's pretty captivating. So I think that's part of the reason why I everybody just likes the Kate and Lucy so much in her episodes. Um, so Nightwatch are the, the one in season one and the one in season two are some of my favorite episodes of each season. And they're kind of like a day in the life of each character. So there's like one character on night duty and then you see like glimpses into the other character's life outside of work. Um, and then the case kind of brings them all together. Um, so it's it's great for all of the characters, but they're, they've been great. Uh, Kate and Lucy episodes too. So they, they need to get a hold of Kate uh, because it's 6 a.m. on a Saturday and she's not at work and they can't find her. And Ernie and Jane, there's this like scene where they look at Lucy because they know Lucy knows where she is, even though Lucy doesn't want to admit she knows where she is um, and she has to go find her. And it's like this this scene straight out of fan fiction and Baywatch combined <laughs> where Lucy like shows up at the beach looking for Kate and she's like walking in the sand and she's like groans and like kicks the sand because she hates the ocean and the beach and stuff. 
<laughs> and then um, as she's looking around, her jaw drops and she sees Kate walking out of the water with her surfboard looking all hot and shit. And Lucy gets flustered as fuck and goes into this like gay panic trying to talk to her, where she's like fumbling her words and she's like, Oh, sorry, I was just looking at you instead of looking for you. And I need you for case to work, not because I need you and want you. You know, like there's this whole stumbling. And Kate gets like this little cocky grin on her face, but remains like very patient with Lucy and doesn't embarrass her further because of their situation. Um, and like there's this moment where like and Lucy like turns and watches Kate as she walks away. And it's just like this was another scene where I was like, are they really fucking giving us a scene on a CBS procedural right now? You know, um, it's like. acknowledging the like physical attraction part of their relationship and not just like the romantic side. Um, I feel like those, those are the things typically shied away from in shows like this. Um, and to see it like very blatantly put out there like that and have a, you know, a classic gay panic moment. I was like, wow, I can't believe you're doing that. Yeah. That's definitely nice considering there are a lot of shows where, you know, you see people hug when they should kiss or they spend their relationship just sitting on a sofa together. <laughs> yeah, and that's something I didn't mention when I was talking about, like, the procedural episodes of the week because, like, they don't ever kiss. None of those gay episodes. Like, if it was a straight couple, they would have kissed. But, like, the gay romantic scenes, they only fucking hug. They never kiss. Yeah. Um, And... Generally, I think even as we started to be shown more and more, like we were always still more censored than the straight relationships. Um, and that's something I even wonder about with them in this show is how much they are or are not censored by the network. Because there are times I question things. Um, but um, this episode has so much development for them. So... Kate ends up getting hurt on the job and then Lucy gets mad at her that she was hurt because she blames Kate for not like checking her safety protocols. But really, I think she's upset because something bad could have happened to Kate and they're still in the state of tension. Um, and then while all this is going on, she also finds out that Kate turned down a promotion that would have brought her back to D.C. to stay in Hawaii. Um, and so now she's starting to face this point of conflict where she's, like, wondering what to believe. Like, because she's kind of being shown through, like, actions and words that Kate's feelings were real and she wasn't an idiot for believing it. But she feels still very much like she was an idiot taken advantage of in her relationship with Kate. So those two things are kind of at war with her. Um, and then she, Lucy gets revenge on the assassin that, that attacked Kate. And it's one of the more exciting takedowns and fight scenes in the episode. Is this the one where the um, guy flies off the roof? Where she like shoves him off the they roof? They jump off of, yeah, she, they jump, she jumps off a roof chasing after this person mm, to no. the beach. No, I'm talking about where she's fighting on a rooftop and then this guy goes flying over the railing and then the two other dudes come to Lucy and she's... No, that's that's an earlier episode. 
Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, um, we have a closing scene after this where Lucy's walking back into the bullpen after taking out the assassin that attacked Kate. Um, and Kate is like very dressed down. Like it's almost like Kate's reached her lowest point. Like physically, like her clothing is really dressed down. She her body is broken. It's like she's reached her rock bottom at this point. Um, and she's like waiting at Lucy's desk for her in a sling and you know, looking pretty beaten up. And Lucy walks up and you know, she's playing it kind of safe and being a little bit more sensitive with Kate because Kate got attacked and she Kate says oh I hear down you took Medina who's the person who attacked her and Lucy kind of gives her this look like she won't be hurting anyone anymore but she's really talking about Kate you know like she basically did it because this girl attacked Kate and hurt her and Kate gives her this little look like she knows that's what she's talking about um, but they don't really acknowledge that part. And Lucy apologizes to Kate for being hard on her earlier um, when she got hurt and realizes that she was being harsh. And Kate is very clearly emotional at receiving something like that from Lucy at this point. After all of their tension and her kind of receiving a lot of animosity from Lucy up until this point um and then lucy gives her like this surf quote to break the tension about like surfing the waves or whatever and kate's obviously surprised because lucy hates the ocean but lucy says that she learned it seeing this and it, she cuts herself off and doesn't say who she's been seeing and she learns it from this kahuna that she's been going to which is like this from what i understand a Hawaiian spiritual leader that Ernie had her go to to help her heal and kind of get over her feelings. Um, but I don't think she wants to be that personal with Kate. But in this episode also is when she goes on a date with this random girl called named Skylar, who's I think who you were thinking about. Elevator girl. Um, yes. So Kate is obviously taking that hint to mean that she was dating someone else. But Lucy doesn't give a fuck about this girl, really. Like, she's talking about the kahuna and is very uh, captured by what's going on with Kate currently, not this other rebound girl. But I think this is kind of the episode meant to signify Lucy kind of accepting a lot more of what's happened and start putting things behind her with her little rebound date with going to see someone to talk through her feelings and that sort of thing. Um, and when she says this, like, and Kate is interpreting, like she's like dating other people, you can see the hurt flash across her face instantly. Like that information alone was a bigger beating than the actual physical beating that she got earlier. Um, but she's like fighting really hard not to show it to lucy and just like excuse herself so she like <laughs> excuses herself and just a limp away and then lucy asks her if it's true that she turned down a job for her and kate says yes and lucy's like on the verge of tears and asks why she didn't tell her and kate 
says she was going to and tries to step closer to Lucy. And Lucy, like, takes a step back, closes herself off. And um, Kate reads that demeanor change right away. And her body language also changes. And she's, like, very dejected. And she's like, well, that whole business with Kara happened. And then Lucy, like, very firmly cuts her off and's like, I won't let you hurt me again. You know, I won't let you do this anymore. And um, I think she's, like, struggling with what I said earlier. Like, the opposition with how she feels and what she's hearing and seeing. And Kate is like, why? Because I wanted to be closer to you. And then Lucy here is where she's like, no, because you ruined everything. And then she breaks down. And she says, we had something so special and you broke my heart into a million pieces. And she's struggling to get the words out. And then Kate looks so dejected, as Lucy says, because I loved you, Kate. And that is the first time that they admit really like the depth of what their relationship was. And it's the first time that Kate is ever called Kate on the show. That's the scene I remember that. Lucy seemed ridiculous, like not ridiculously, but she seemed very emotional and talked about the depth of their, the, you know, the intensity of their relationship. Um, and I was, I was a bit shocked to see how impacted she was. So again, maybe when I watch all the, the clips in the right order or I watch the whole episodes, um, I'll see it. But if I were to say what scene of these clips would compel me to invest more in learning about them it would be that that performance that was yes it it was so good that because i don't understand how the relationship was here i was like i'm missing a shit ton because like that was such a good um painful i think it's i think it's the tension that builds up between them that really elevates this moment. And I think it it is about the progression through the show because it's almost like this was the turning point and the kind of like catalyst for them, like the climax almost. It wasn't even the breakup because by the time they broke up, it was like when they broke up, it was more like a shocking event. And this was more about like, their feelings and their relationship um, that they could only get to this point at now. And um, like the, even how that scene ends where it's like the wind is knocked out of Kate and she has a visceral emotional reaction to hearing Lucy tell her that she loved her for the first time. And then Lucy just stops her and walks away and they're both crying. And Kate is like, trying to keep it together and the second lucy leaves the bullpen you just hear like her let out a sob like oh my god this is my favorite scene of theirs in the show and as someone that actively shifts them i don't know what it says about me that um this is my favorite scene but this is always so good you know, it was the acting and the writing and the directing and staging. And the scene is in the middle of the bullpen and it's just emotionally devastating. And um, how they blocked it and filmed it just added to it, too. And 
you know, like I was saying, I love a little actor's duel, you know, where you're just kind of shifting and you feel bad for Lucy and then you feel bad for Kate and then you feel bad for both of them. And I just think good emotional scenes like this where both actors can really deliver it are a testament to a really good ship. Yeah. And then we build to the season finale. So after that episode, there's an episode in between that one and the finale where they um kind of settle back into like a friend state um, where there's a little less animosity between them and they're kind of in a better place. And also Lucy is not into Skylar at all and has ghosted her and dropped her, the rebound girl, which is made clear. So... You know, she obviously, after that interaction, can't get over Kate. That's all the stuff underneath. So we get to the finale episode. And Ernie, our little shipper in the show, um, starts dropping hints to Kate. Because he also kind of develops a fun relationship with Kate in the show. Um, He starts dropping hints to her that Lucy isn't over her. And now that they're on better terms, maybe Kate should do something about it with a grand gesture to win her back. And because Kate is such a literal uh, by the book person, she does take that suggestion literally. So by the at the end of the episode, when they're at this like huge barbecue at Jane's house and everybody's happy and together and family and yeah, yeah. Um, Lucy is like looking around the barbecue and is clearly looking for Kate, but Kate's not there. You know, like she wants her to be there. And then from the back, you just have Kate start singing and she sings Make You Feel My Love, the Adele version. And here's the thing. Tori is a great singer. This is a beautiful song. I love a a romantic gesture. But it's also a cappella. And when someone is singing to another person a cappella like that, uh, it feels very intimate (laughs) and something that you should not be observing. And... The secondhand embarrassment that I get watching something like that makes it extremely difficult for me to watch. I normally get massive secondhand embarrassment from shit like that. And I did not. And I wonder, and this is like a theory now, would I only get embarrassed if I have emotional investment? So like, what if I go and I watch all these episodes, I get super invested in them and I rewatch that scene and I do end up having secondhand embarrassment. That'll be a really interesting study for me. Um, because surprisingly, wow. I did be, not. That would be, I barely made it through. I'm not even lying. I have to like pause it a lot to get through it because yeah. it just is a lot for me. I get really bad secondhand embarrassment just generally for things. But that was just one where I was just like, oh my God, this public singing to someone else in front of all these people. It's a lot. And you know, I wonder, I think this is a, like, everybody thinks the scene is beautiful, and I do too, but I, I've heard this sentiment a lot from people watching it, and I wonder if it's because it's Kate who's doing it, who would never do something like this. So, you know, like, her feelings of mortification at doing that as well when you're invested in that character like, I wonder if that plays into the audience interpretation of it, too. You know what I mean? 
because I was like, I fucking watched all of Glee, at least the good parts. And, you know, when Santana was on it. So I should be okay with public serenading. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, there's a difference between people singing and serenading. It's just, it was, it's, it's a big moment and it's a beautiful gesture and um, I'm very happy that the show, like, this is the season finale and, like, the final scene of the show for the whole first season. And they're giving it to them and giving them this big moment. Like, that's pretty fucking cool and important. And I'm really glad they did it. But, like, next time, if they could just have, like, Kai on the ukulele at least to, like, help, maybe that would be cool. Um but Lucy storms over to her in the middle of the singing and it's like, what are you doing? And Kate um, is emotional as she says, I'm singing for you because talking hasn't worked, but I love you. And then like just the relief that you can feel, see in her body when she finally says it out loud. And she says, I don't know how else to prove it, but I can't go another day without you. I'll do it right this time. And Lucy tells her to shut up and kisses her. The crowd cheers. They're kissing, you know, and it's this big, beautiful reunion between the two of them. Um, they're both really emotional. And, like, the gesture, the speech, I loved it all. Fantastic. Love the performances. Like, the reunion. They're kissing. I love that because they haven't kissed in, like, 15 episodes at this point. But my favorite part, I swear, is just this little look that they give each other when they break apart from the kiss, and it's just, like, the two of their faces in the shot, and they both have, like, tears in their eyes. There's a little bit of, like, uh, cry laughing going on between the two of them, and Kate just looks absolutely elated. Like, you've never seen her this happy in your entire life, or in the entire show, Um, and Lucy looks, like, all of the emotions have bubbled to the surface and she's like just trying to get them under control in this moment. Um, it's just so beautiful to me. And then they're just like in their own world in the, in the backyard as they, as we fade out of, of the season and in season one. And I was hooked because I uh, watched the rest of season two live after this. Um, and they really took me by surprise. I'm so sorry, Katie. I've heard everything that you said, but I'm just so freaking, why is there this fly right here that does not want to fucking want to leave? I'm like so disturbed by this. <laughs> I hope I killed that motherfucker. I don't know if I did. Um, Okay, so what I was going to say about that scene was, so I said earlier about what scene um, would get me interested in watching, and I said it was um, Lucy in, with that, like, you broke my heart scene, and then when I think about it, this kiss, this, like, apology, so I didn't get the secondhand embarrassment, which was really helpful, because it allowed me to, like, pay attention to the scene. Actually watch the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> and so I loved the way Lucy came up, kissed Kate, and I was like, okay, maybe there's something here. Um, and I I think, like, as you talk about Tori's acting and portrayal of Kate, nothing's coming to mind. Again, half watching the show. Um, a lot of what's coming to my mind is, are, is um, 
Yasmin's performances as Lucy. And I wonder if it's because it's easier for me to see Yasmin's like quickly when I'm like half watching versus Kate's, which is maybe more subtle and nuanced. And so I'm missing, you know, and if she's the colder character, if I'm not seeing those nuances, then it's harder for me to buy into her. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I think um, as she develops relationships with the other characters, that helps open her up a lot too. You know, I think that matters um, for her character specifically. Um, you know, there's a really interesting dynamic too, where like the rest of the cast, like, know there's this very awkward tension between the two of them and their scenes and they're all having to dance around it. But, you know, they're Lucy's team. And if Lucy told them to pick a side, they would, and it would be Lucy's, you know, but Lucy clearly has not told any of them what happened between them. Like there's still this like really like a distinct respect for Kate somehow through all of that and her working relationship with everyone that I think is also kind of interesting. Um, so yeah. And I think this is all gets really enhanced in the second season. Like there's ups and downs in the second season. Um, they're together and they're great and the show's really invested in them. But, uh, Lucy is gone for like a third of the season um, because the actress had other commitments. You know, I don't know. I don't care. It's not my business, but that's just a reality of it, you know? So they have great scenes and they have great moments and great performances, but there's like the first kind of half of the season. Then there's kind of a gap between them. And then the end of the season when she comes back. So it's, not in season two yeah so it's not like even across the whole season if that makes sense you know that's just you want more of her basically when you're a fan of her you know um and i do think lucy is the heart of the show and maintains a lot of the charm of the show um, and so when she's not there, you kind of really see how much she's connected to the other characters in a way you didn't realize before she wasn't there. Um, and so the dynamic is a little bit off for me when Lucy's not there um, and going through those episodes. Um, I still like them and I still like the characters, but it's just it wasn't the same for me without Lucy. Um, and... I think that um, it's really cool how they did decide to keep the relationship going in season two. I really liked it. Uh, we talked way longer <laughs> than I anticipated, but also not. I kind of thought this would happen and that we wouldn't be able to get to season two in this episode. <laughs> um, it's a lot to talk about. And I had a lot of passionate feelings about the show as a whole before I even got into their basic scenes. So it's like, you know, how far can we fucking get? Well, when you consider that the seasons are 20 episodes, that's like doing two seasons, you know, like of, of our other right. shows. <laughs> exactly. I was like, we fucking can't with how detailed we are about one episode yeah. of a TV show. And then you want me to talk about a whole fucking season, let alone two seasons. Yeah. Maybe it was over ambitious in trying to plan that we could do both because I should have known better. But I also, uh, you know, 
pulled a favor card for this. So I was like, not going to try to make V do two episodes. <laughs> I know. You're like, I'm not trying to pull you into a two episode commitment. <laughs> um, I could get through all of this in one. <laughs> but no, I can't. I have too many feelings and too many thoughts. And I just love them too much to be able to do that. So um, yeah, we didn't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll end here and just kind of talk about how the relation, why I got invested in this show and why I love it, and why I think it's worth considering what it's giving um, to us in the genre in terms of representation and what made me fall in love with them. Like, I'm okay if we leave it with that, talking about them, even though I have tons of great thoughts and feelings about season two and things I love and things I would die to talk about. But um, maybe we'll just kind of see what happens with this episode um how many people want us to do that with me who's like really in it really loves them and v who doesn't love them but doesn't hate them and is just kind of like a uh observer (laughs) yeah i'm very neutral yeah i would say that i don't hate them um but i absolutely don't love them always willing to give it a shot for the gays and for my friends (laughs) Yeah, you know, just a uh, a good friend and a, uh, you know, maybe maybe a future investment, maybe not. We'll see. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm really excited to see what the show can do with them in season three. I do want to talk a little bit about that. Um, so they're in a, like, very healthy and committed relationship in season two, which I love. Um, but... I do say in season three, I want a little bit more drama back (laughs) into their relationship. Um, I've clearly talked about how I love their dramatic scenes and dramatic acting. And I think Tori and Yaz can really dig into shit and I want them to. And like when I say I want drama, that does not mean I want manufactured drama. Like I don't that doesn't mean they need to break up or that they need to throw like a curveball in the relationship. But like. There's so much drama in everyday life that you can explore in a relationship, you know, like nobody's perfect. You know, they each have kind of mysterious families and backstories that I think could add a lot of drama to their scenes and how they would manage that and deal with that. I really don't Um, know why, but when you said there's a lot of drama in your everyday, I just imagine dropping my ice cream cone, which like is not like like, (laughs) dramatic, but like that was the first image that came to my head and I was like oh yes the drama of your ice cream falling (laughs) listen I was battling with some wasps earlier today and that was a very dramatic moment for me okay it was life or death in those in those few moments um but you know like relationships are hard especially long-term committed ones there's a lot of ups and downs that you can explore in emotions and I would like them to get into that and dig into it a little bit. Number one, because it adds more depth and weight to a relationship. Um, and number two, the actors are good at it. So let them play. You know what I mean? Yeah, let them do it. Um, they're good at. <laughs> um, I also would like um, them to go on a mission together. Like where they have to rely on each other. And it's like high stakes, you know, like just a dramatic yeah. action couple on the scene, you know, like a um, 
What's that? Um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie movie. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah, you know, like not a spy thing, but you know, that's a vibe that everybody fucking loves. You know what I mean? Give me the gay version. Um, I would love to see that. Um, and also, this is my request of the show in season three. I want them to do a gay episode, meaning the victim of the week is gay, like the crime victims are gay or something like that. The story of the episode, because they haven't had that. In the first two seasons, they've all been straight characters. And um, I think, you know, I get there may have good actual representation, but also, you know, I think it's another way to make a statement in the genre where, um, for once, it's kind of the gay heroes saving the gay characters or, or, or being the hero in the story. And not the straight ones. Um, and I think you could really put a nice twist on that. And elevate that element of the previous storytelling in this genre. That I would love to see. Um, and there's a lot of deep gay history between the military in Hawaii. Um, in terms of, um, you know the undercover gay scene, the drag queens, the trans women. There's a lot there that they could dive into for a case for this show, I feel like. So I would like for them to do that. Um, I think it'd be interesting. And I think those are my main wishes that I want to see in season three when it happens, which hopefully won't be that far because the writers will be successful in their strike and we'll get paid and we'll go back to making TV for us. Uh, my hopes for season three is that they'll both be in the full season because I quite like Lucy. Well, I like Lucy more. I <laughs> I'd rather have her. Yes. Yeah, I'm very attached to Lucy. Like, I can't ship anything unless I love both characters. Like, truly love both characters. Um, And so, I really do love both of them a lot. But I am very attached to Lucy. I think she is very charming and very important in the show. And, um, yeah, I would also like that. Um... So, yeah, I hope that um, the Casey fans out there that uh, like our podcast enjoyed this and got something out of this, even though this isn't our usual style. But, you know, I just had to let a little bit of my feelings out. And um, depending on what you think, what you tell us, we'll see where our coverage of NCIS Hawaii and Casey goes from here. That's hilarious <laughs> that you said that because I'm like – Please, they're going to love what you have to say. They're all going to be like that annoying girl who doesn't give a shit about them. <laughs> Why the fuck is she here? <laughs> so ho I'm hoping that I don't get hated um, by the Casey <laughs> fandom. Um, but if I do... What well, <laughs> you know, usually we always have opposite opinions about things we do like mm -hmm. together. So this dynamic really isn't that different than our usual one. Very true, very true. And I'm not right in case uh, off. I'm I am very intent on giving them a a, a very solid chance. Um so 
I'll... I would suggest watching the episodes and taking your time with them, like as you would a procedural. Um, like don't feel rushed because of a podcast or a timeline or whatever. Um, and see where that takes you. It's probably gonna be another year. You know how I am about like finding shit. Now I gotta go fucking figure out where to watch the full episodes. It's gonna take me forever. Well, this people is the reason why it's hard for us podcasting together. And it's not this show. It's every show. Mm -hmm. Like the challenge of finding something that we both like and want to talk about is really hard. And that is why I'm doing this Casey episode with you right now. And you're doing the pink theory series Uh because we kind of were not on the same page with it. And you know, it just is what it is with what's out there right now. So I hope people are okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we'll see if I can uh, motivate myself to figure out how to get the full episodes, and I'll let you know. And I'll let you know if uh, of any new developments. So, thanks for giving us a listen. If you made it through this far, uh, we're glad to have you back as always. I hope you stick around and keep listening to the Pink Theories. Um, I'm really happy that you're all enjoying that and that will continue for you. Um, with what you think about this episode, please follow us on Twitter at this lesbian ship on Instagram at this lesbian ship, um, rate review us on Spotify and iTunes. You know, are we still at six, six, six? We don't know, but you could up it if you want. We won't complain about that. Um, we really love reviews, especially. So those would be cool. Oh, my God. Um, Can I say this? I was like, <laughs> okay. I love reviews because it, it, feedback is nice. We do this and we talk yes. to each other and we can have this conversation alone or we can have this conversation and put it out as a podcast. So I love feedback. Um, to know how people feel about it, to discuss like theories or, you know, interests or even to say like, I enjoyed the podcast. And so as, I don't know if you've noticed this, as we've developed friendships, I feel like more and more people will DM me that they like the episode and what they liked instead of like tweeting about it. And I'm like, quote, retweet the podcast, quote, retweet right with your feelings. Loud, okay. <laughs> Be public with your feelings. Okay, take a little inspiration from Kate Whistler. And then it's better to share and communicate your feelings than to not, you know? So let us know what you think. Because we just spend hours talking to each other and it goes out into the world. And then you're just like, okay, that was that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, with what comes next from here, we'll take inspiration from you. So thanks for listening. I'll see you at some point soon. (laughs) V will see you sooner. And we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. This lesbian ship is intense is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.